right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, uh, the podcast where we take conversations about uh, issues related to mental health and try to have them in the most normal way possible. This is what we do. Uh, obviously, this is uh, obviously uh, also a part of the Perry Veritas Network, uh, where you'll find such great podcasts as Jokes. The other podcasts I do, this one with Eric, and sometimes uh, other guests, such as Robbie, and we explicate jokes and uh, um, you know talk about our love of comedy and all that good stuff. In any case, uh, this episode of Sunshine and Brain is with Kenny Vialva. Uh, Kenny is uh, a continuation of uh, an awesome tradition of bringing on guests who are amazing human beings who I had a chance to meet through my sisters. Uh, so my, uh, sister Rachel's best friend, um, married this man, Kenny. And, uh, he's one of those people that for me, you know, the first time I ever met him, he and I just sort of got along famously. And, um, and, uh, every time I hang out with him, it's just always a good time. We just tend to agree on pretty much everything and, uh, love the same kind of music and, uh, you know, talking with him is, uh, Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, as they say. And uh, uh, yeah, so this is a great conversation about, you know, his life and his experience with struggle and what he's done to um, sort of uh, find his inspiration. Um, he's going to talk a lot about marijuana. That's uh, a big part of his story. Uh, so right off the bat, I want to take an opportunity to plug his company, uh, the, the brilliant, brilliant name. This is a, he he um, just uh, started a consulting company. It's a marijuana consulting company called Cannabassador Consulting. I mean, does it get any better than Cannabassador, for fuck's sake? I mean, goodness gracious. Anyway, so yeah, Cannabassador is in Cannabass- uh, Cannabis Ambassador, Cannabassador Consulting. Uh, it's a brand new company. Uh, run and owned and operated by Kenny Vialva for any needs in cannabis related uh, in cannabis related to education, lifestyle and consumption, as well as dispensary setup, operations, product selection, and so much more. You can reach Kenny at iCanaConsult at gmail.com. Again, iCanaConsult, that's I-C-A-N-N-A, consult, C-U-N, uh, sorry, C-O-N-S-U-L-T at gmail.com. Uh, his website's in production. It's not up yet, but it will be, and I'm sure it's going to be great. The man is brilliant. Um, com- you know, he's obviously awesome on this episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, before we do that, though, just take an opportunity to check in. Uh, how's everybody? How's everybody doing out there? Oh, man. Whew. It is... Uh, Goodness gracious. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like if you would have, if you would have asked me at the beginning of um, all this quarantine COVID business, how it was going to play out, you know what I mean? Like if you would have asked me like, all right, what is going to happen? I probably would have said, well, we're going to try our best probably at the local level, state and local level to figure out how to manage this because we certainly aren't going to have solid leadership at the national level. And uh, we're probably going to fuck a lot of shit up because even people who have their heart in the right place don't, aren't going to know exactly what they're doing. And um, I would imagine it's going to be a, a long, long process of ups and downs and ins and outs in terms of, um, you know, when we're going to get out of this mess. And uh but I would have, in my heart, thought three months and then we're out. <laughs> like, like we'll just, it's just going to, we're just going to do this. It's so three months, you know, end of June, we'll be getting back to work. It's going to be normal. Kids will be able to go to camp. 
start off school year next year in school, you know, it's going to be fine. And um, no, I'd have been right if I listened to my brain on this one. Oh my gosh. So I'm kind of, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in a spot where it's like, I need to turn a corner here between surviving the pandemic and living the pandemic. Meaning like, um, just feel stagnant, man. Like, you know, I don't know. I've used the metaphor of, you know, this pandemic is like someone coming over and dumping a toolbox out and just leaving us a hammer and a fucking chisel and telling us to build a couch. And yeah, that's still what it is. That's what it's going to be. But like, I think we're going to have to just figure out how to build couches out of hammers and chisels. You know what I mean? Like, because you need fucking couches. <laughs> I don't know if this metaphor works, but I'm just going to take it to its bitter end. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that like, I can't just survive the pandemic anymore, man. Like I have to live. So the first thing is, is that my neighborhood opened up our pool, which has been a godsend. You know, I, I swim for exercise. That's like my main form of exercise. And I have been doing some weights, but it's not the same for me. I'm a big dude. I'm like six, seven. And so like running, I, I feel like is a bad idea because I'm putting myself in gravity's, gravity's way there. And when I swim, it's like, First of all, um, I'm exercising in a zero gravity environment, basically. So it's good for me. I'm not causing any damage. Second of all, um, as an activity, it's really good for your back. Third of all, for a big guy, like, I just kind of like, I kind of like, you know, I don't know, not to sound like, I'm not conceited. So not, not to sound like I'm into myself or something like that, but I like what it does to my body. You know, you know what I mean? Like it, it makes me feel like young and strong and makes my back feel good. And especially when I kind of slim out, when I swim, it, it just, I just feel good. Um, so I've been swimming every day, um, like with blessings from my boss, like not just blessings, but like, dude, get your, get your ass in the fucking pool. You need it. You need that shit, you know? So I, I've got like a good boss like that. So. He's like, yeah, get your ass in the pool at 10 o'clock every morning. You got to do it. Swim for an hour, whatever. Um, it's really good for you. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing every day for like two and a half weeks. And it's been, um, you know, it's been keeping me sane for sure. Work is really hard because it's super hard to motivate. And it's not like what it was when I was, you know, a rabbi where I had my schedule kind of like drawn out for me. You know what I mean? Where like I had one meeting after another. And so every day was one meeting after another. And it was really easy to stay busy because you just had one meeting after another. You know, every day was like moving to different places and sitting yourself in front of somebody. Um, this job that I do now, you know, recruiting is, is much more self-motivated. You don't have as many meetings. You just have to get yourself in front of a computer and fucking work scour the internet trying to find people and all that stuff and it's hard to motivate to do that man especially since like me like i draw energy from the sort of people around me and when i'm in the office you know my my co-workers are just basically an awesome group of people who are you know great to be with and great to work next to and we all kind of parallel play doing our own thing um doing the same thing but doing our own searches and you know all the banter and things like that and just feel like you're part of something here you know, in my apartment working, it's like I'm surrounded by people who've been stuck in their home for four months, who are miserable, who are in, you know, failing marriages and maybe haven't had jobs for a while. And 
aren't sure what's going on and are angry and everything else. And it's like trying to concentrate through all of that is um, pretty, a pretty significant challenge. And the add on top of that, you know, looking at my daughters and like what they have ahead, it's already the case that this generation of kids are going to be named for this man. I mean, they're the pandemic generation for fuck's sake. It's crazy. I mean, it's what happens in history, right? Like every generation is sort of defined by a historical event that happens at a specific time, right? So I'm Gen X, the young Gen X. So go fuck yourselves. I'm not that old, but young, young Gen X. And my favorite definition of, you know, where the borders are for the Gen X crew is that anyone who was in school at any point, kindergarten through senior in college, when the Challenger space shuttle exploded or Gen X. And what that kind of represents is, um, you know, the first generation that began to see the, that America can't just do anything. And the boomers saw that, especially with the 60s or really the late 60s and early 70s and the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement and all that stuff. You know, they really found purpose, but they also saw an America that maybe was up to no good, which had been seen before, but it wasn't like exactly part of the generational zeitgeist like that. And uh, but still, like they feel that they overcame so much and created an America that was great, but there's so much left to be done. And then the Challenger explodes, and that just is like representative of all that's left to be done. So my generation, Gen X, is kind of defined by that, right? We're kind of like the middle generation. We're not the boomers, and we're not the millennials. We're kind of stuck between. So then comes the millennials, and they're defined by September 11th and the turn of the millennia. But basically anyone who was in kindergarten through senior in college on September 11th, 2001, is a millennial. And uh, that generation is defined by unbelievable unrest, you know, like just the world going to war and, you know, seeing things happen in the environment now that are obviously awfully frightening um, in terms of where our planet's going. So they're kind of, you know, they're born into a world where they're inheriting all these problems that they know that they have to solve. And they're pretty fucking pissed off that the generations before them didn't solve it before they got here. Cause like we totally could have. So that's like where they're coming from. So now you have this next generation, right? Like my kids generation, they're not millennials. They're too young and every generation is defined by some big moment. And so here we fucking are, you know, 20 years later after September 11th and we're in this world changing thing. And, and all of us who are in the older generations, like, millennials on up, like we're formed already, you know? So like when this is done, we're going to go back to being how we were basically, you know, with some trauma, but like, you know, the goal is to fucking get back to being how we were. But for these young people who are still being formed, um, you know, this is obviously going to have a more profound effect. So my oldest child is going to be starting high school, um, not in school, you know, like at home. My youngest child will be going into fifth grade, same deal, at home. They've already been, you know, going to school from home since March, camp from home all summer, you know. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, like, we know that kids need human interaction, and they're missing out on, like, so much. Yo, my grandfather had, I want to say the scarlet fever, something like that, when he was a kid. And the net result was he was in bed for a year and couldn't go to school or anything like that. And his bedroom faced the fucking playground. 
Uh, yeah. His bedroom faced the fucking playground of his school. So he just like laid in bed with the window open listening to his friends play. That probably had an effect. <laughs> I'm thinking that had an effect on him. Um, that's different, right? Because everyone else is playing except for him. So it's like this feeling of being left out. Um, this is a worldwide feeling of being left out. This is like, you know, so left out because you're being left out of things that like other people had a chance to have that you'll never have a chance to have, you know, things that like kind of seem small, right? Like, did I, do I really remember the last middle school dance that I went to before I went on to high school? I probably skipped it knowing me, but like, imagine if I couldn't go or like if I couldn't do like a yearbook signing graduating middle school, (laughs) that's fucking crazy, man. So, uh, yeah, it's intense. And I don't know about you, but I got to figure out a way to like start living like some definition of like what that might mean. You know, I think growing, continue growing. Like, it's not like I've stopped growing. I've kept growing Been working really hard on all this shit and therapy and doing this podcast and all this stuff. But Again, it's like I felt stagnant too, in a way. For me, it means a couple things. For one, I'm gonna take a. I've been doing this like online dating thing for a bit. I'm gonna take a break. I'm taking a break. (laughs) I'm taking a break for a bit. As I've I've had enough. (laughs) I've had enough. Uh, As I like, I really want love in my. Oh my god. What I would do for love. I fucking would love to have love in my life, man. That's like the thing that I really want. And not, and like for me, but also like, I want my girls to see like what awesome love can look like too. So there's like an added thing. And the other pieces that like, you know, not like fatalistic or anything, but you know, I'm, I am, did just turn 45. That is halfway to 90. <laughs> if I make it to 90, you know, and die then, then I'm halfway through my life. I want to, I think it'd be cool to make the triple figures. I'm going for that, but I'm just saying like, you know, it'd be great to like maximize how much love I experience in my life. But at the same time, oh boy, it is time for a break. Yeah. So I'm taking a break from that whole thing. And I've set like a, like a two month, like kind of challenge to myself. Not that I'm like a Catholic or something. Like in celibacy for two months. No, that's not what I mean. But that's what it's going to be. <laughs> but still, I think mean, two months of just like being off the apps and, you know, looking for love and, and all that stuff. Like, you know, not that it's like the best idea to try to get back into dating again, like just before the election. So I may like hit October and be like, maybe let's wait another two months. <laughs> that might be a wise my decision. But just two months feels like one month feels too short. You know, three month feels too long. Like with as much as like shit's been going on, like I can't even imagine who I'm going to be three months from now, let alone whether or not I'm going to be ready dating. So two months feels like the right amount of time. You know what I mean? Like give it eight weeks. Let me like, you know, get some other shit in order and then like figure out, you know, what I want to do there. Um, So that's one way I'm like, trying to figure out how to turn things around. I don't know what else, man. I like been working really hard in, in therapy on actually just had a big breakthrough in therapy on, uh, 
um, thinking about anger and how I, you know, respond to anger and the kind of impact it has on me. And for me, like my depression in a lot of ways can be understood as sort of like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say faulty wiring in the brain because that's derogatory, but let's just say, you know, a particular easy pass, almost like HOV lane, eight lane, HOV lane of a synapse, you know, a neural pathway that my brain created. And essentially what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a workaround um, from two, at least two incredibly uncomfortable feelings being of mourning and anger. And uh, what it does is it covers anger up and covers mourning up with anxiety and depression. So like something happens and I, I get mad about it, you know, but the anger only happens for like a nanosecond because quickly what happens is I'll have an anxious thought, you know, I deserve this, you know, maybe this happened because I deserve it. And then I'll have a depressive thought, you know, I, I suck. Um, I'm an awful human being, all this stuff. And by the time I'm done with all those thoughts, I don't think that feeling is gone, which is great, but I've covered it up with fucking worse feelings, man. And uh, that's not what I want to do. Yeah, I had like a huge breakthrough with that this week, actually. <laughs> like encounters with those experience, with those emotions, you know, and like using them to figure out what to do and making like, I think, pretty solid decisions along those lines too. Just like, yeah, that's the, that's the right, that's the right decision. Let's, let's handle this this way. And it's great, you know, uh, like it's not that it feels powerful, but what it feels is healthy. You know, like, like put some cones off against that eight lane HOV easy pass and um, instead take the, the normal route. I don't mean to use the word normal, but maybe the healthier route. And it actually worked. I mean, like. I've arrived at a place right now where I'm like, okay, I know what I have to do. And I feel really relieved, which is to say like I'm taking a break. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep swimming, going to keep working. I'm going to get my girls, you know, in a routine where they've got as much variety as possible and can keep growing in a way that's as healthy as possible, recognizing that it's limited in terms of as far as we can get. Cause like all we fucking have are hammers and chisels still. Like, I can't pretend like my toolbox is suddenly filled, you know, so healthy expectations here, man, like healthy expectations here. And then, yeah. And then see where we're at, you know, anyway. Yeah. This is a little bit longer of an intro. <laughs> I want to take some time to, you know, I, I didn't do for the past few episodes with Andre because we were talking about racism. I didn't do, um, you know, much of the check-in piece, but I did want this to be a part of the introduction. So here we are, 20 minutes intro. Yeah, look, whatever you're going through, you know, however you're facing it, obviously, you know, I hope you've got as many tools as you can, as you can possibly have. You know, I hope you're, you've got people that you can talk to about stuff. Hope you feel like you're still growing and finding a way to do that. Um, and hope you're forgiving yourself if you're not, you know, saw an awesome fucking quote on LinkedIn. Something like, uh, if you haven't taken this time to learn a new hobby, gain some new skills, you know, advance your life in some way, then you're probably human. <laughs> I really like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, self-forgiveness for sure. I, I hope, uh, hope you have some of that. And, um, 
I'm just kind of trying to feel my way through this. I hope these conversations, if you have a chance to listen to them, uh, I hope they're helpful too. Maybe you don't feel so alone and that uh, there are lots of people who are going through exactly what we're going through. Yeah. So if you want to take part in the show, feel free to go ahead and write me, josh at periveritas.com. As always, like, review the show, subscribe. Uh, what do they say for all these podcasts? Uh, share with your friends, all that stuff. Uh, please do that. We want to try to grow this to be as big as possible. I've got some working on some other interviews for this. Uh, definitely cognizant of wanting to add some female voices. Uh, we don't have enough of that yet. And uh, I mean, I'm just getting started, but still. And so I've got a couple of um, folks I'm working on here that I'm really excited to sort of share. So hopefully I'll have a chance to interview them soon and then you know publish those episodes. Uh, but yeah, keep keeping track of us. Hope you're hanging in there. And I'm looking forward to uh, you know hearing from some of you, I hope and uh, hearing what you think about this episode. This is Kenny Vialva, awesome guy. Another conversation about his background. And uh, yeah, I hope you like this. Let's go ahead and roll the tape. Roll it. All right, what's up, Kenny, man? It's uh, so good to be talking to you. How are you doing? Man, it's uh, it's going all right. Things are going well uh, overall. Really can't complain. It's an interesting life. This year with the coronavirus, you know, it's being uh, locked down in the house for most of the most of the time. But, uh, you know, I'm working at a dispensary these days here in Mass- Massachusetts. So things are going overall well. Yeah, you're, yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about it, like what a cool thing that, um, you know, it's like we've arrived at a time in history where people can work in dispensaries. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a uh, it's a pretty cool cool time of life like you said it's some some interesting things going on but also we have a lot of other options that we didn't have before and uh you know having cannabis is definitely um when we talk about mental health and things like that it's definitely a blessing to be able to uh have these these uh tools available to us now legally without having to add another layer of stress to it you know what i mean yep yeah uh, yeah n- no doubt you know and um on a you know socio-political, you know, communal, moral, ethical, criminal justice level. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the number is, but, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of yeah. people, uh, um, you know, uh, still in jail. Yeah, still in jail, incarcerated for uh, selling marijuana. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, like the fact that now people are creating, you know, multi-million dollar lifestyles for themselves by having, uh, you know, the right property or the right dispensary. And there's people still in jail for creating this industry and mm-hmm. having it run underground and still getting it here and, you know, making it available to the people who need it. Because uh, no matter what you've heard, it is definitely medicine. <laughs> it's definitely vegan, a plant that creates a beautiful flower for us to enjoy. So, you yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, like when you really, really think about it, like, you know, you, you had already massive farms producing marijuana um, and then you had an illegal, you know, trade sort of bringing it to the people. Yep. And uh, um, and now that it's legal, you know, I don't mean to, you know, start off too cynical, <laughs> but uh, who are the people who are becoming 
you know, millionaires off of this, uh, <laughs> off of this industry change? It, you know, do you think it's, uh, the African American kids who were, um, bringing it to us, you it's know, all that time? Or? Yeah, it's definitely not the pioneers and not the people no. that were, were chilling on, on the block for hours, you know, doing the yep. work, you know what I mean? Making sure people got it and took all the risks at the time. And, you know, people like that, because of their record, because of the way their money was earned, they're not able to even enter the legal industry, you know, and it's just yep. it's a travesty, you know what I mean? Because, you know, they're being pushed out and marginalized out of the industry and people who have no idea, no idea on how even to, you know, really make it available to the people, you know, everybody's trying to monetize a literally it's called weed for a reason. You literally can throw it in the ground and it's going to grow. So, you know, even even when you get into that whole aspect of it where, you know, it's becoming such an expensive product for people to enjoy, whereas it's supposed to be a communal thing that you give away and you share with your community and everybody grows from, from reaping on the harvest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yet, you know, somehow it becomes just another one in a, a long line of uh, story of, um, you know, wealthy people jumping into a thing that was illegal, you know, pulling the strings to make it legal and then making a whole ton of money off of it now that it's legal. Um, and then, yeah, right, you know, so. It's just the it's a it's a rinse and repeat type situation because <laughs> it was it was their it was their ancestors who made it illegal in the first place. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And now exactly. after they made all that money off making it illegal, now they're gonna they have the money to be able to invest in the legal part of it. Right. <laughs> so that they're eating right. off they're eating off both ends of the plate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awful. You know, I, it's, it's interesting. Like I think back, so I was born in 1975 right. and, um, you know, I think back to like, you know, my whole conscious life, you know, so, so to speak. And I definitely, you know, there have been times along the way where, you know, there's been a lot of sort of, you know, feeling of political unrest and, you know, different sorts of challenges that, yeah. you know, we face as a community. You know, I was in Manhattan on 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, um, you know, obviously that whole experience. But then I also remember the outrage at the war in Iraq and, right. uh, you know, sort of the anger at the Bush presidency and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is like, oh, man, this is so much. This is so much crazier. <laughs> yeah, it's on, a, it's on a whole nother level right now. You know what I mean? It's just like a perfect storm of, you know. Being able to to see people being able to see what what we've been talking about, um, you know, tell, telling people how we get harassed by cops for no reason constantly. You know what I'm saying? I know you made a reference to this in one of your other shows, but it's just, you know, people can actually see it now and everybody's taping it. And like people, you know, they can't say they don't know anymore or they have no idea or or that's not where I live. That does, you know, that's a lot of what I hear. Or that nothing like that happens around me, or nothing like that happens around where I live. Well, you watch the news, you watch TV, you have Instagram, you got Twitter, like you seeing it. So you can't just say it doesn't happen anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? But the real thing is, is anything going to really get done? You know what I mean? Like these yeah. these, these police officers, they do whatever they want. 
You know what I'm saying? They yeah. they they get fired with their full pensions and like they don't go to jail. So yeah. you know what I mean? What's their they don't have a punishment. They have no real reason not to do this. And and I believe it's part of a plan they've always had. Yeah. Um yeah, this has been uh you know, such a you know, look in the mirror, self reckoning kind of moment, you know, for white America in terms of um really just having it i mean so obvious like a big bucket of bricks being dumped on our heads in terms of what's been going on and how we've been you know at fault and i think the only real response for white america is to um you know embark on some kind of truth and reconciliation (laughs) reconciliation campaign right of like um you know really just trying to figure out a way to understand it and be honest and everything else. And I mean, I've just started to dive into this and it's crazy because, you know, I'm like really into history and I'm mm-hmm. not a stupid dude. You know, I'm, I, you know, I, I kind of know a little bit about what's going on right. in the world and I've got people who I love in my life who are African-American, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and yet like I, I wasn't, you know, walking around outrage um, mm-hmm. in this, in a way that I, that I should have been. Because it's yeah. just so effing comfortable to be white. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, you know, it's it's ingrained in us from such a young age that yeah, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a struggle for a, bro- a brother or a black person, and it's supposed to be easy for mm-hmm. a white person. And and anytime you see it opposite, you're like, how did you know? They want you to be like, how did that happen? That's not supposed to be so. You know, and just the things we learn in school and the history we learn and the amount that's omitted and, you know, things like pictures that are supposed to be in color or changed to black and white to make you think it's so much longer ago than it actually was. And, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just little things like that. Subliminal things on TV, just like everything you see that's good is generally light or white in color. And most things are just bad that are dark and gloomy. So it's just in your consciousness. And, you know, if you watch the news, you know what I mean? It's like any bad per anything bad that happens, it's, it's, you know, a minority or a black person. And, oh, the, this guy saved his neighbor from the boat and it's a white guy. You know, it's just, just like, it's constantly you're, you're bombarded with it. So I, you know, it's not an excuse or in, in any way, but I understand sometimes how, how white people say, I don't, you know, I don't understand or I don't know or I don't see it if they don't put themselves in the situation to know people, to know different people, to to learn a different culture. You know what I'm saying? You got to put yourself out there. And, you know, I think it's I personally think it would be crazy to go through my whole life and just know one type of history, one type of race, one type of culture. You know, that's that's just right. so small minded in my opinion. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and what you see ultimately when, you know, you kind of like peel back and we've been talking about I mean, I've been talking about this a lot. Um and it's kind of been a main subject for especially recording on this show recently. Um but like you know, ultimately what you see is that you know, race in terms of identity is a, it's a scientific illusion. It's a human made illusion because when you really peel it back and look at the actual differences between people on the DNA level, 
Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's like we're you know we're similar ninety nine point nine percent, and that's like you know that really says something. And not just that, but there are deeper similarities across racial lines mm-hmm. um, than there are within racial lines. And you know what the difference is? Is there's a difference between skin color and race, and that's yeah. and that's what people don't see. You know, right. they see skin color and they assume race, where skin color can mean so many different things. You know, people in Africa can be as light as you or as dark as me. And they are right. the, and they live on the same continent under the same sun. So, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, to look at someone's skin color and assume their race, you know, for example, I'll just put me out there. So my last name is Vialva. That's an yeah. Italian last name. <laughs> yeah. So... My great great grandfather is Italian. His name is Angelito Vialva. You know what I mean? But my but my parents are from Trinidad. I'm first generation American. My parents are from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean islands. Right. So you look at me without knowing anything about me, and you look at me and you say that's a black man. You know what I mean? Right. But right. I'm so much more than the color of my skin. Right. right. And I have so much more to offer than the, the color of my skin. And the thing I find interesting about us in America is that we want everyone to be the same, although we love people that are so unique and different. Right. But we're uncomfortable right. with those people that they live around us. We expect those people to be somewhere else, like they're in Hollywood or they're on the football field. You know, when we come across somebody that's similar to us or they, you feel they should be just like you, but they're different it makes you for some reason or some people very uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the uniqueness of us all. It's not supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you interested and learn another person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I might've learned why Um, it Hmm. makes people so uncomfortable and it's a pretty shitty reason to be honest. Um, But ultimately what it, what it comes down to is that, you know, white, white isn't a race at all. It's a club essentially. Um, and it's a, you know, really exclusive club that's only Mm -hmm. for white people. And being in that club means that you get things from America that other people don't get. Um, you know, you get, you get the ability to walk around and not be afraid of the police. Um, Mm -hmm. you get to raise your kids and not teach them about how people can be awful to other people because chances are they might not have to deal with that for some time and you can shelter them from that. You know, you've got work opportunities and social opportunities and business relationship opportunities, et cetera, um, that, you know, African-Americans and other peoples of color don't get in America. Um, I agree. Yeah, right? I you agree. Know? You know, having a white wife, you know, my wife, my wife is white, as you know, and that's how we all know each other, basically, from Rachel and, and Samantha. It's just. Right, right. You know, even in places that I've lived before, um, currently where I live, it's very diverse in Haverhill, Mass. But, you know, I mean, where I've lived before, it's like I could go out in that neighborhood and I, t- I get I feel totally different than if I'm I'm out there with her. You know, what I mean, right. you know right. what I mean? It's like right. when I'm there by myself, what are you what are you doing here? But then right. if she's with me, then they're like, oh, well, he has a reason to be here. And it's just like what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's just like, a neighborhood. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a zip code. Like, you don't have property or or say so where I go. But the truth of the matter is they do because 
you know, certain people in certain neighborhoods for too long or at a certain time of night, uh, you get stopped, you get pulled over, you get asked, what are you doing here? What's your address? Let me see your ID. You don't live near here. (laughs) You know, that's happened to me before plenty of times. So never happened to me. Yeah. You know, some ridiculous stuff happened and it's just like, you know, when you go back to mental health, you know, like, to be honest, you know, living the life I have just as a young child, you know, my parents had, had, had taught me so many different things about living in America. Because once again, there were immigrants to this country. So yeah, I've always been taught to like watch my back from the police, right. to to know my place, to know that I am not equal here. Like I've, 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 and I think my parents knew that because they were under British rule in Trinidad. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know what I mean? They, they knew what it was, what was coming. Um, probably on a lesser scale here, honestly, <laughs> compared to right. what happened in Britain. Right. You know, so I've always been told and taught to, to look for these things. So I've been aware of them happening the whole, my whole life since I've been, you know, in the, you know, born, I was born in 79 in, in Houston, Texas, you know what I mean? And like, I've lived in a lot of different places. So in each place I've lived, it's not, it's been the same kind of, you got to protect, watch where you watch your back. Even if, you know, we're living in the Brooklyn in the hood or whatever, we're watching our back for a different reason compared to living in a nice part of, you know, Maryland or something where you're usually people that look like me aren't usually there so much. Well, that that's not really true, but you know, and when I first got there, it felt that way to me. Right. Right. You know I mean, and that's, that that's mentally straining on you on every yeah. day of your life, having to just have these extra thoughts or extra steps to make sure you get through life safely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was going to be my question just then was, you know, do you think it had an impact on, you know, your mental health? And I wonder if you noticed how it might've had an impact on the mental health of other people around you. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, I mean, people say, you know, why are you so angry? And it's because you're, you're constantly stressing your body because your mind is constantly stressed on, who's going to take advantage of me or who's going to try to get over on me or who's going to try to hurt me just for who I am. Right. You know, that's just an extra layer of getting through life that, uh, frankly, a lot of my, my white friends don't have, they don't even think about things like that where they, you know, their mind has, they have a freedom of, of expression a freedom of thought, freedom of fun where, you know, as a black person growing up, it's like you have this extra, you got to make sure you do that extra bit, make sure you do that extra homework, make sure you do that little bit extra because you're going to be, not only are you going up against your own uh, people of your own race, but you got to be better than the white guy if you want to get anything or the white person, you know what I mean? Right. And it's like, you know, life is hard enough <laughs> just trying to maintain and get through it as a regular person. Um, For me, the way I got through that was sports, to be honest. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. playing sports is a, is a, is a huge outlet. It's a, uh, it's definitely a way to get your mind free to get your aggression out in a safe way without like 
you know, going to jail or exploding a lot. And, you right. know, you know, luckily we're really good at sports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a theory, you know, if you take, if, if you take a person and you put their body through labor or bending and jumping and running away for freedom over years, over time, their ancestors, their body is going to be changed. And they're going to yeah. be better at jumping and bending and running and doing all these things that you need to do to play sports. You know, it's to me, I see it as the equalizer because especially here in our country, every sport, you know, black people or minorities had to like wait to get into. Yeah. And when they get a chance to get into these sports, they just, they thrive, they take over, they, they make it their own. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's, I don't know, it's its evident of who we are as a people because we've had to do that in every aspect of life in this country. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. You know what's, you know what's funny? You, you mentioned sports, and I'm really into sports too, and I actually happen to love boxing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what's funny? As much as I love boxing, mm-hmm. I, uh, I fucking hate the weigh-in. Yeah. Weigh-in. You know why? Why? I feel like it looks like what a slave auction might have looked like. Mm-hmm. Don't you think so? Damn. So yeah, I never, like, I've never thought of that, but yeah, I'm sure. Right? That's I mean, just like all those people gathered around judging the body, muscle, mm-hmm. bone, look in the eye of an African-American mm-hmm. um, and then trying to figure out his or her worth. Yeah. You know, and, and, they're, and they're, they're bidding, right? And they're, and they're bidding for the- Placing bets. They're Who's going to win the fight? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And but in the slave auction, they're bidding mm-hmm. for someone. In the in the the more useful a slave looks, you know, the the more money they're going to go for. Yeah. So, you know, that there's something crazy there in terms of like what happened. I think you know, like it's it's there's something like really crazy there. And then like on the other on the other side, you know, I. It's funny, like, it's not funny, it's actually horrible. But you think about, like, the occurrence of, like, hypertension, high blood pressure, and heart attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, African-American, men especially, who die, you know, by the age of 55, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, how often that's, like, a big part of the story. And a lot of folks talk about it in terms of, that's just rough genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, don't you think there'd be an impact on, you know, you just described like yeah. stressful situations. Exactly. Right? Don't you think just, that's something to do with it? <laughs> just living life, you know, and then, you know, eating the food that you eat. And, you know, a lot of it's interesting, like a lot of the food you eat is like what you what you grew up eating. You love eating those kind of things. I mean, of course, there's new stuff, but like right. stuff you really love is what you've been passed down from generations of your family. And Right. You know, some generations of families had horrible stuff passed down to them that right. that that they still love eating today because that's their, you know, that's what they know and that's what they love and it's just so many aspects of life have that extra hurdle when you're black, you know, see when you're African American, whatever you I'm black. I call myself black, you know. I don't know what, you know, other people call other people all these PC other names, but yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's it's whatever to every to whoever, you know, they call themselves what they want, but it's just like um you have 
all these things you have to to go through and sometimes you don't even realize that's what you're what's going on you don't realize you're going through mental stress and mental right. anguish because right. you're just living life and everybody you know is yeah. going through the same shit yeah <laughs> you yeah. know what i'm saying so it's not like oh and you know i heard you talking to your homie um andre yeah you know about therapy and shit and it's like you, know, you don't do that as a black person. <laughs> you just don't right. go to therapy. I mean, I guess it's more common now, but it's that scene in our community is a sign of weakness. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. In, in our community, um, you talk to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He's right. he's your therapist. You know what I'm saying? And he'll give you the answers. And I, you know, I believe in that as well. You know, what I mean, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God, and he, you know, I do talk to. You know, I do feel that you know, I have a connection. So, but there is, there are professionals that can help. You know, I know for myself, yeah. I've never, I never went out and got professional. I've tried actually. Right. I tried and it didn't work out for me. And I just, huh. I never went back. You know what I'm saying? It was just not, I felt judged. I wasn't being helped. I was being told I was, I got this issue and that issue. And this was on a first visit. So I was just like, yeah, cancel that noise. I'm not going, I'm not going back over there. So it's just, you know, even as a young person, I wanted to to go talk to someone because, you know, I knew people in my, my, my school and stuff that were getting, talking to people and my, right. my mom, you know, my people's was like, nah, you don't need that. Jesus is your, uh, is your counselor. Go talk, go pray, <laughs> go read your Bible, you know? And I did, and I did find some, some, some solace in there at some point, you know, I find a verse that, that rang to me and, you know, made me think about things in a different way. And, you know, but as I get older, I realized like, yo, that's what, you know, I could have saved a lot of, a lot of, uh, plaster, punching walls if I had yeah. somebody to talk to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I want, you know, it's interesting, right? Because when I think about like my, my friend Andre, for example, um, you know, so like I went to college, I have a master's degree, all this stuff. Andre's, you know, um, got a high school diploma, never mm-hmm. had a chance to go to college and those pieces. Um, and, you know, when I think about like, you know, who he is and how I cast him in my life, there's no doubt he's the smartest person I know. Do you know what I mean? Like 100% yep. smartest person I know. Yep. And, and yet if he and I were to take like a, like the SATs mm-hmm. or like, um, or, you know, maybe an IQ test or something like that, like, because mm-hmm. those are designed for white people, you yeah. know, by white people, it's, they're not built to measure, you know, things in any type of fair way or any type of good way. And it just shows like how deep some of this stuff goes where it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's both outwards and on the surface and so subconscious at the same time. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Just like, so you talk about education, bro. Just like, I remember like you're talking about the SATs. I mean, some of those questions be like, when you're on spring break in Mexico with your family and you buy da da da, we're like, what spring, <laughs> spring break Mexico with my family. I'm cutting grass in the neighborhood trying to make, you know what I'm saying? Trying to get yeah. dollars to buy some Jordans. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, I can't even think about that question because I have no, I can't relate to that in any way. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. And just like, like, like we say education. So like I said, I was born in Texas, but then we moved early to like New York, mm-hmm. to, right out to Brooklyn, New York. And like, I was there from like, Kindergarten through sixth grade, through uh, fifth grade. 
Right. And like, I was a great student, man. I had straight A's, all this stuff. They had, they called it Eagle. I was an Eagle student at the time and, and all this. And then my mom was like, like, I would have had to go on one of the, like, a bad, uh, uh, middle school or whatever, junior high school. My mom moved us to, to rise to Maryland. Right. So, you know, I went to a better, it was a better environment. It was like, you know, we're in the city, we're right outside the city and stuff. And like mm-hmm. my grades, the same work, same work ethic, same student went from straight A's to straight C's. Why? How? Because I changed zip codes, bro. Because what right. I was learning, right. which is just not fair. When I was learning from kindergarten through fifth grade, made me an excellent student in the area I lived in. Right. But at some right. point, I'm going to be judged at the college I go to or the, or, the, or the SATs I get. And that's on a national level. That's everybody. Right. So you're starting behind the starting line just because of the zip code you live in. You know what I'm saying? That's just not fair. Fuck. It's, it's so true, though, bro. I, I went from straight, straight A's to straight C's, and that just doesn't make sense. And you were not, like, less capable than those other students in Maryland. You know not I mean? at all. You were just as capable, but you weren't being taught or communicated with in a way that, like, you know, was the, cur- the curriculum wasn't even strong enough for me because by the time I graduated high school, you know, I was in the top – percentile of my class and my 382 whatever students or whatever so, <laughs> yeah i had worked i've been able to work hard enough it's just the curriculum wasn't even the same it was just right. a less a lesser curriculum for me to even achieve right <laughs> you know what i mean so right when you think of it in that in those little areas because you have children and yeah. you know school is a huge idea or a huge deal compared to where you live because yeah being able to go to a school for free and being able to get the education you need is a huge deal. So when you think about two immigrants bringing their family of of four or three into the world and they have to live where they have to, and they're doing the best they can and they're getting their paperwork all right and getting all, all the stuff. So they need to be, you know, to be in this country and their kids are busting their ass in school, getting good grades and they're still behind the eight ball. Right. You know what I'm saying? They go right. to middle school, even if they do good in middle school. They go to high school. They go do good in high school. By the time they get to college, you know what I'm saying? It's so much harder. Yeah. And you, and you don't bust your ass to get to college. It's not, even, now, a, it's not even a glass ceiling. It's an iron ceiling, you know? It's no, like, see it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and you know, like I said, it's it's all of those little things that, you know, black people, minorities in general, no, like Spanish people and stuff, Latin American people, not Spanish people, you know, it's just like, why do you have all these differences? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it shouldn't be that way. If it's a curriculum, it should be a curriculum for everybody that should get the same type of chance to achieve the grades. You know what I mean? And when you have so many different areas and so many different disparate disparities between zip codes it you really can't have an honest shake right it's right. about it's just about who you meet it's about luck it's about you know being prepared and being lucky at the same time which you know it's not really fair bro no it's really uh 
it's really, it's really shameful, you know, and the truth is, you know, we don't actually need racists for this experience to continue to happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so built into like society and everything that mm -hmm. incredibly intelligent people are the ones who are, you know, making these mistakes in the first place and creating the kind of disparities in the first place. Yeah. Um, and it's people who are often, you know, flying behind the banners of moderate, you know, moderate politics or liberal politics or moderate conservative politics. You know what I mean? Like it's all yeah. across the board. And, yeah. you know, the racists, you know, the outright racists mm -hmm. are a big problem for sure. Like they're a yeah. huge danger, but the, the but way you know who they are, but you know who those people are generally exactly who they are. The <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you don't, you're gonna, you know, because yeah. they're going to tell you at some point, yeah. the problem is, you know, the person honestly, like me, who, you know, love, you know, loves, loves you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, every time we see each other, we get along. Like it's like, it's, it's great. Uh, it's always great. You know, yeah, and and yet, like, you know, I, I still, you know, have spent many years of my life, all my life, walking around in a fog about a lot of these things and not being as outraged as I needed to be, because in the end, you know, it's really the white people's outright outrage that's going to mm -hmm. end this once and for all. Absolutely. And so... You know, the people like me who would have joined up, who should have joined up a long time ago and been a part of the outrage, you know, we're sort of finally at the table and it's and it's really shameful that it took this long. Well, I don't I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it's better late than never. And it's at least that you're willing to learn. And that's the thing. It's mostly yeah. people just want to you just have to be willing to find out. Just go to, you know, so many people are like. I don't have anybody that I know like that. I don't have any black people that I know. Like, how is yeah. that possible? How could yeah. you be in this world? That, I mean, they may not be your friend, but you could go talk to somebody at work. And be like, hey, I don't, I'm sorry about what's going on. Can you explain some of this to me? Can I ask you a couple questions? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yep. you, you're not going to learn by just saying, I don't know, or, 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 you know what I'm saying? Just ask someone because yeah. trust me, you know, Black people got a lot on their minds, and like I said, therapy is not big on our on our uh, to do list. But we do want we want to talk to somebody. We got a lot to say, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know, I don't know one that has that doesn't have a story. Yeah, no, every single every single one, you know. I mean, I, I used to say I, I, I've got three little sisters and so I, and two daughters, so I think a lot about you know women's lives and. Um, what that experience is and what's awful and scary is that I have yet in my life to meet a woman who hasn't been hurt by a man. Right. Um, and that's yep. like, that's a pretty awful thing. And because I have three little sisters and two daughters, like I think about that and I allow it to inform me and, you know, mm -hmm. it, it impacts like, you know, every step of my life in a lot of ways, I'm not perfect, but it does, you know? Right. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I want to be able to do the same for racism, essentially. I, that, that's mm -hmm. like, where I want the mindset to be is to be able to just have it in my, in my brain kind of all the time um, mm -hmm. and then allow it to, to find my actions and just get me in the fight in a, in a way that I, you know, just haven't um, for, you know, sort of all this time. So it's definitely, um, definitely where, where things are at right now. So where does like, you know, we've been talking for a minute already, but no where, does, like, where does your story begin? I mean, it, it almost sounds like, especially um, there's more to, 
you know, struggle than, than racism. Racism is cer- certainly a huge part of it, but there's yeah. also, you know, certainly plenty of other things. Um, it sounds like in terms of racism, you know, you've been really aware of it since before you can remember. Like it's that ingrained. Yeah. 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 I was, I was told to always be aware of it, told about how, you know, my parents told me about Martin Luther King before I learned about Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement and, you know, Emmett Till and all these things that, you know, Americans had to deal with because like I said, they were from a different country and yeah, um, they moved here as, as they were younger. They were, you know, in their twenties and stuff, but um you know, about eight years later, they had me. I was the, their first. So it was like they wanted to make sure as their firstborn, I knew what to be able to help my siblings with and to prepare right. them for. And, you know, that's just a sad, a sad way to have to be brought into this world and to be made aware of what you're living in because it was a better opportunity from them, you know, moving from where they moved from. They were able to you know, have their children and get jobs and, you know, have their part of the American dream, buy a home and all those things. And, right, you know, and now we're being able to do that. You know, I bought my, my first house last year and all these types of things. So, you know, you know, immigrants do come here for a reason and it's, it is to better their lives, not to, to make the world, to make this place a worse place. Right. Um, but it's also very troubling when you know that you're really not wanted. Right. Um, and then, you know, the people that were here that look like you were brought here to build this country and, and treated as horribly as they, as they were, and they were promised things and they still have not have yet to receive them. Right. Um, so, you know, seeing that from, like I said, I was born in 79. So you thinking, I'm thinking like the eighties, you know, like the mid eighties is when I could probably remember the most from what's going on in the world. Right. <laughs> mid 1980s to, to 2020. And, you know, people say things are better. Well, eh, it eh. depends on what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah I mean, I mean that, you know, you can't say that, people don't have more opportunities because you do, but when you really match up the scale, no, not really. I mean, it should be, it should be changed in a drastic way. And it's not, it's this little incremental changes. And it's like, you know, I, I just keep you, like you said, history, it's, it keeps repeating itself unless you prevent it, unless you stop it from repeating itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, what you see is that, you know, sort of throughout history, um, human beings have kind of always figured out how to um, feel superior from time to time and subjugate the other from time to time and along different boundaries, for sure. But a lot of that dynamic has been there for a while. Um, but racism itself is, you know, early 1600s, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah. not that long ago. Um, and it's not like ingrained in the human spirit to not like someone because of the color of their skin. Um, that's not really, you know, a part of the human psyche. Um, but it has become, it's like, it's like, um, you know, white is a mental illness really, Mm -hmm. you know, not a race at all, but a mental illness. And, um, you know, the, the fucked up thing about it is that with every other mental illness, you're trying to fix the machine from inside the machine as the machine. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do you even, how do you even do that? Um, When you want to believe that what you've earned, you know, what, what you have in your life, you have it because you deserve it. 
Um, yeah. you know, people, people who don't, you know, have in their life that, you know, they don't have because they don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how it works at all. Um, wow. there's a lot more randomness to this than, uh, than, um, you know, than our brains are kind of like allowed to sort of feel, especially, you know, when you have the mental illness that is whiteness. Um, yeah. so it's just, you know, it's crazy. Um, so like, I want to obviously keep talking about race. I mean, that's like the big thing, but I wonder Mm -hmm. if there was other stuff for you too um, that like crept in there. So, I mean, not, I mean, with my, my family, just, you know, you know, religion was, was a big part of it for me growing up. Like, Mm -hmm. like I said before, like we're Christian, grew up Baptist and and Pentecostal. So like, yeah. So some serious uh, Bible, Bible, Bible learned and memory verse memorizing and yep, all that good stuff. And you know, it was it was good for me actually. It, I felt like it kept me um, to be a grounded person. I learned to love community. Mm-hmm. I learned to work with people and um, have something to believe in and, and trust in. And uh, you know, when you wanted to do something that maybe everybody else is doing, I would say, nah, you know. Jesus might see that one day, you know, or I know Jesus will see that and I might be judged on that. And right. So, right. so I feel like religion helps, but it can also hold you back. It can also, it's, it's interesting. I, I you know, I, I, I also look at religion as maybe a way to control people, you know, just right. as I, yeah, as I get older and I see how things really happen in the world, I like you say, history is not it's it's not so different, you know. Like reading the Bible sometimes, where where it goes back and forth on its own words sometimes, and I'm like, hmm, wasn't didn't the richest man in the town get this book written? You know, like I mean, isn't that what really happened? No matter who said this is this word and these are that word. <laughs> Yeah, right. Isn't that, you. yeah, that's what happened. That's what really happened. Whoever had the most money got a bunch of people to write this book. So, yep. I, I mean, really, and that's the basis of so much of what we believe in and what we, you know, we fight wars because of, we vote because of this. And like, you know, a lot of it, I'm like I'm saying, a lot of it has helped me through life. But then I sometimes I think I'm like, yeah, but this is just some some rich person really trying to control a bunch of people. You know, but is it the, it could also be the word of God with the hidden sea scrolls. Like I could think, I think it's a mixture of both personally. So I think religion had a big part. I definitely know religion had a big part in my life um, in terms of, you know, keeping me in on the straight and narrow, keeping me in a good place. Like, for example, like music, I didn't even really get to listen to like hip hop and all that until I was like, I don't know, like eighth grade, maybe not even like really ninth grade, not till I got to high school. You know, I was only, yeah, I was only allowed to listen to like Christian rap, Christian music, you know what I mean? And then like soul music and and Caribbean music. I could always listen to Caribbean music. Right. Like my, my family, my parents were like, you know, the stuff that's on the radio is really not, it may be entertaining, but it's, it's going to hurt your brain. It's like not good for you and it'll make you do different different types of things and yeah. you know it kind of when you don't have much to grab onto 
then you do gr- grab onto the music. You do right. start to emulate the things you hear your rappers talking about, and that could easily happen, you know. So, right, right. I was happy to be influenced um, by church as a as a young man, and as I got older, it didn't. I mean, I still have my relationship with the Lord, but it's I don't you know go to I didn't go to church as much and stuff like that, and I felt. I needed it, you know, because I had grown up and like I was in, you know, choir and like I was in everything, youth group, all that stuff. So right. I felt that I missed that community. Um, and I felt like that actually helped with my mental health a lot when I was younger, being around that community because it was a lot of like minded individuals. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Um, right. Right. And you could be socially successful there. Based off of how spiritual you are, you know exactly. what I mean. Like, like it's it's yeah. one of those things where, in, as opposed to like school, where you could be socially successful based off of like how attractive you are, or how athletic you are, or how you know sort rich of your, like, how rich your parents are, how rich your parents are, how <laughs> yeah. social you can be. You know what I mean. Whereas at church, if you're you know if you're spiritual and you mm-hmm. seem grounded and you know, you're a good person, then you can, it sort of lifts you up socially, which is uh, really a great, you know, sort of thing when you think about it. So do you still, do you still speak in tongues? No, it hasn't happened in a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't caught the feeling in a while. I haven't been to Pentecostal service in a while. And I feel like you need that atmosphere. You need the, yeah. you know, the energy of others. You need the the music. You yeah. need that, that bass, that vibe to to really catch it and like you know get those you know just feel the spirit it's the yeah. it's just, it's the holy spirit coming through you and co- and the words coming out of you and it's it's really a joyous thing you know people get scared by it but it's really a it's praise it's praise yeah. coming out in different language oh, um yeah. but yeah i mean in church i wanted to play the drums so bad like i never yeah. got to <laughs> cuz we were in a park apartment in new york so you know oh, you can practice. <laughs> there's no way to practice that's really exactly fun. yo did, uh, so um what do you think that like when you spoke in tongues what do you think that was like when you look back on it are you like yeah i was really because i've actually had a chance to hear it not many yeah. jewish people have heard it in person before but i yeah. did a navy chaplaincy a while ago and there were a bunch of pentecostals uh, there and um, you know I've I've heard it and it's it's funny it's really incredible it sounds amazing and it's sort of funny this one guy said if you're not really feeling it but you want to do it what you say is you say you should have bought a Hyundai you just say that over and over again you should have bought a Hyundai yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so yeah I guess it sounds like that um but like I said I think it's um I know when I felt that feeling it was um. It was like blessed. It was like I'm thanking. I was thanking Jesus. I was praying and yeah. thanking Him for what He's given me, you know. And uh, we didn't really have that much at that time, you know. We didn't. We didn't have a lot, but what we had was each other, and we had the Word, and we had hope and belief. And uh, yeah. I, I really believe it. It comes out. I think it might come out different for 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 everyone. It depends on maybe what your mindset is at the time when you're when you're getting, when you're catching the feeling, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but for me, I was always taught to be grateful for life. Yeah. Not for what I have, but the fact that I'm breathing, you know, like, right. so, right. um, 
just the fact that I was, you know, every morning I wake up, I was, I was taught to, to pray, to thank the Lord for waking me up. And every night I was taught to pray to, to allow me to wake up the next day. Thank me. Thank the Lord for the day that you've had, you know, and like, um, doing that from a young age is, First of all, it makes me take longer to go to bed because you want to make sure <laughs> you want to make sure you get enough of your day in and, and enjoy just in case you don't wake up the next day. Honestly, that is that is a that is a thing, I believe, for me anyway. Um, I think that uh, I'll go a little de- a little go off a little bit. But, you know, I had the bone cancer situation yeah. now five years ago. Yeah. So those two things combined for sure. I know um, probably has a lot to do with me having some level of insomnia because yeah. I can't just have a whole hard shitty day. At some point, I have to have that that fun enjoyment before I can actually get to go to bed. Day. Yeah, you need to be up until you can't be up any longer. Right. And you can go to bed. Yeah. So going back to the speaking tongues, I really think it's it's about what you're what you're going through because I know people have have been able to do it and they've been crying because they're talking about a pain they're dealing with or they're, you know, maybe asking for forgiveness and something. Um, um, but the times that I remember having that, you know, that, that movement, you know, it's a, it like you're dancing, but you're not really controlling the way you're dancing. It's just your body is like taking over and it's just like, uh, you feel good. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it just felt right. good. Right. Yeah. I feel that way with music. I, I've never really felt that way with prayer, although I did feel that way with dance. Um, yeah. I've definitely felt that way with dance. Dance and music are the two things that sort of are two of the things that sort of really take me away. There's there's other kind of physical things. Like I've let, like when I swim for exercise, there are moments where it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm in my body, out of my body, one with my body, you know, feeling the universe, like all that stuff, like all sort Zend of, out. yeah, yeah, zend out, exactly, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, pr- a straight prayer never really did that for me, but uh, mm-hmm. Jewish prayer sort of functions a little bit differently anyway, so, um, but, but yeah, you really got sort of, I mean, all the things, obviously, that we've been talking about this whole time in terms of you're born into the, you know, to the skin that you're born into, into the nation that you're born into, into the time that you're born into. And that all is going to have a, a massive impact in terms of not just who you are and um, what your overall experience is, but so many people around you who you love, right? Like, um, and uh, all those pieces. So there's a, there's a built-in trauma there that's extra sort of mind fucky because, you know, while you're experiencing it, because it's been there since you were an infant, because it's been there mm-hmm. for generations, it's like people have to point it out to you, but you almost don't even know it's there until they point it out to you. It's like, it's just so obvious, right? It's like just so right there in your face. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so expected everyday life. And um, right. it's, it, it, it kind of, it, for me, when people are like, what are you so angry about as a black man? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like right. just my existence of every day right. being alive makes so many people angry (laughs) that energy is transferred you know what i mean like it's a transference of energy that you can't help and uh you know when you're told that you can't do this or you can't do that and you know it's just so many things like i'm when i went to college my freshman year in college my i went to uh, ran a school in virginia 
uh, stay at home in the Confederacy bullshit. Anyway, right. um, I went okay. to a school in Virginia. And, you know, even in 1997, we had a our own fraternity called BAN, Beta Alpha Nu, Nu Epsilon Delta, because there was a time where we couldn't go into the frat houses there. You know, a couple of years before we got there, like in the early 90s or whatever. Really? As recently as the early 90s, African-American kids weren't allowed into the frat houses there? Yeah. Jesus. They had, we had our own underground fraternity. And it's like, it's so different now. I mean, the school's amazingly diverse now. But it's like, you know, you go through all this shit, all this struggle. Like you're in Brooklyn being, you know, told you're... You're poor and you're black. You're never going to be nothing. And your your mom gets you out of there and you move into another neighborhood where you have opportunities. And, like, you know, you're going to the same school with, like, the orthodontist kid and shit, you know? So you're getting a good education uh-huh. because, obviously, the orthodontist kid's getting a good education, yeah. you know? So you get those opportunities and you get out of there and you go to college and you go to this college down in Virginia and you're, like, being told again you got to start all over from being a – you know, being not allowed into the fraternities and you're not going to get invited to any of the formals because they don't go to formals with black guys. And, you know, they they would wear their old South uniforms for certain events. Jesus. Yeah. You know, like have parties on the yard roasting a pig in their old Confederate uniforms and shit like that. And I'm just like, Christ, holy shit, this is where I go to college. You know what I mean? But, you know, what I'm saying I. You know, I learned a lot of things there. I learned a lot more about life there. And um, like you were saying, you know, a lot of opportunities that you get in life is because of where you've been and who you know and who you've rubbed elbows with or who you smoked a joint with. Or Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's one of the things about cannabis, man. You know, a lot of my stories are going to come back to cannabis because it's a healer. It's it's the one thing that everybody in every, every part of the world can have access to. Right. It can it can heal you from stress, anxiety, cancer, fibromyalgia, yep. Yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Tourette syndrome, like lung cancer, brain, you know, like it can do so many things. This this amazing plant and um you know, it's not a mistake that they try to eradicate it as much as they can. They've killed trees and killed our oxygen instead of using hemp to make paper and all the same things that we can make with trees. We can make with hemp. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can and, yeah. And it's stronger. It's easier to grow. It's yeah. less stress on the environment. And, you know, we got to remember we're, we live in a capitalist world that even though things can be better for everyone, that's not that you don't make money that way. No, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, and yeah. and we got to remember that when we talk about where we live, you know, it's a great place. We have a lot of opportunities, and you know, the it's just the stress of <laughs> the stress of just being um, is on purpose. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That's a hundred percent right. Because like, and this is what you know, I've kind of learned recently in this deep dive into into whiteness is that, you know, aside from being a mental illness, aside from being an exclusive club, you know, what white also is, is the the world's first, you know, sort of multi-class coalition. And it's a, it's a process of deception ultimately where, 
you know, the very wealthy are tricking the not wealthy to mm-hmm. fight each other so as not to rise up and try to be as wealthy as them. Um, exactly. And uh, so that's really what it is. It really, really is maybe not a conscious conspiracy. Maybe it is too, but it's certainly uh, a conspiracy there. You know, it's certainly at least subconscious um, in terms of kind of how it works and stuff. And so it's really, um, you know, it's, it's really a problem. You think about like, you know, your, your parents came to America to have you and because America represented a better opportunity than what right. you had back in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, even despite that, this better opportunity cause, you know, causes high blood pressure, hypertension, <laughs> early death, you know, significant mm-hmm. mental illness without any acceptance, cultural path, or even like, you know, psychology, you know, that is like a, like therapy options that would make sense or be viable for African-Americans or other people of color. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because cause straight up, you try to tell me, to go tell, go talk to a therapist that looks nothing like me, lives right. nowhere near me, right. and is supposed to understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, yeah, it's hard, it's hard coming home or going to school every day when the drug dealer is trying to ask me to put shit in my bag so I can right. take it to school and make money, and I, I really want this money, but you know, I want to, I want to go play football and stuff like that. It's like. Those people don't understand what what you're right. talking about. Next thing you know, they're calling child services and get you pulled out of your house when your right. parents are working hard and trying to take care of you. You know what I mean? It's just like it's it's hard to tell me that. But I mean, I know they're black therapists now and stuff like that. I'm just saying. Oh, like, you're right. You're right. You're right. I don't know what the percentage is, but I don't think that's where it should be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just not. You know, it's and it's probably a lot of it's. It's not a profession that many black people probably look to go into because, like I said, it's just not part of our, it's not part of what you're told to do as a young person and being right. black. Right. <laughs> you don't tell, put your business out there to nobody. You know what I'm saying? You keep that in house. Go talk to your grandfather, talk to your aunt, talk to your uncle. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right. it's kind of crazy like that. But, right. You talk to your, your preacher or pastor or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, God, um, yeah, this is so, <laughs> so deep, depressing, man. A deep, a deep. It's depressing, man. But you know, I I feel like even though it's depressing, I also feel hopeful. That's one thing about me. I'm an optimist. You know what I mean? Like, and I think this goes back to my my religious beliefs. Is that like this is just current now? This is our current life. This is what we're going to be living through now. You know, I do yeah. have a. A hope and belief that there is something else, maybe not in this physical form of a body, but you know, my spirit will live on. And you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like, you know, if this is what life is now, this is what it's supposed to be. And you know, everybody says life is hard, but you know, nobody says it's supposed to be easy. You know what I'm saying? Because stuff that's easy usually isn't that great. So you know what I mean? Yeah, the the harder stuff is the stuff that's really the most worthwhile. And you're 100 percent right. You know, it's it's interesting. Somebody, um, uh, I've been listening to so many podcasts and doing like a bunch of deep dives into different all, all these issues going on right now that I've honestly lost track of where I'm hearing things. But I, somebody mm-hmm. said somebody referred to racism, um, and police brutality as the other major virus that we're fighting right now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been fighting that virus a lot longer, but it's the other major one. Um, and uh, I found that to be really interesting, right? Because, you know, it's like being in quarantine, being in isolation, being in isolation and all that stuff, like it's not, it's really hard. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're, I mean, what I've been saying, I've basically said this at least once every episode. It's like, you know, someone just came over and took my toolbox and dumped all my tools, you know, all my tools out and left me with just like a hammer and a fucking chisel and told me to build a couch and mm-hmm. um, gave me like a pile of wood to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, how am I supposed to do that with just these tools? So, right. you know, it's just like navigating all this stuff and trying to, you know, sort of make it through. But the way I like have kind of turned the corner around that stuff is like, yeah, the quarantine's really hard and it's going to be a challenge and it's been a challenge and it's going to mm-hmm. continue to be a challenge. And we don't know how long this is going to last. And it might be till the summer of 2021, if not longer, for all we know, you know, the way things are going with all the spikes and it goes down again, all the spikes. I mean, we've, we've really kind of fucked ourselves with how we've approached it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like we look at that and then and then at the same time, I also go, but it's also an honor. Because mm-hmm. it, uh, it happens every hundred years or so, there's a major mm-hmm. virus that comes through, and humanity just has to fight it and mm-hmm. and defeat it and grow the antibodies, and then and then you keep going until the next one comes, right? Like it's an honor, and so like just thinking of it that way has been really helpful. And mm-hmm. for the first time today, I was like, oh yeah, like it's kind of an honor to to be in this place where like you know, all this shit is still going on, but we're finally, you know, we're finally waking up to it. And like, now we can turn and fight it in mass. And it's like, you know, um, um, Andre, I was talking to him the other day, he brought up the point. He was like, there's no leader of this. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of people who are fed up. So they don't even know who to assassinate. You know, yeah. what I mean? like, it's not yeah. like, have no idea. They have no idea who to assassinate. Cause it's not going to like end based off of that. And, um, I don't know, man. It's like, it's horribly depressing, but you're right. It's like, it's kind of an honor too, right? But you know, it's interesting. It's like Darwinism is a big thing in this country, like survival of the fittest. And, uh, you know, that's a big thing. And I think with this coronavirus, it's kind of, it's kind of where they're at. It's like, especially when Trump said back in, uh, when he was in Oklahoma, like, we need to slow down the testing. Like, they don't want to know who's sick. They, you know, if you're sick and you, you can't, you can't, fend for yourself good luck you know like those who can have made it you know and you know people fail to realize that we is we're overpopulated in america you know they want ways for us to to you know pass away naturally right without causing any kind of big alarm and you know these viruses that come up i mean i don't know man it seems like you know my being in the far- in cannabis and the cannabis industry and, and the pharmaceutical industry, like they can make anything they want at any time. I believe, you know what I mean? Right. Like I, I, be- right. I truly believe that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm cynical. Maybe, you know, I believe like all this NASA stuff and all, all the stuff that the military does, they already know where these drugs are and, and all these viruses and how to, how to take care of it. But they don't, yeah. It's not that beneficial, but maybe this one's a little different. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know either. It's it's. I mean, the whole the whole thing of it is like uh, just so crazy. Um, you know, it's it's easy to just kind of you know I don't know, just get lost <laughs> in a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different you know thoughts about this. Like someone sent me a chart that was like comparing, contrasting all the different um, awful viruses and like linking them up 
timing wise to the elections. You know, mm -hmm. like this one with this election, this one with that election. Yeah. Look at it and it's like, holy fuck. But then like, I also didn't take the time to like myself go back and do the research and figure out like exactly when those, you know, those different exactly. things started. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't even know what to, what to believe there. And, and it's like so often just the, the shit that we know. So like I, I used to deal a lot personally with um, uh, jealousy issues and relationships Mm -hmm. um that that was like a like a big like a big thing for me and then mm -hmm. like what we kind of like what i figured out sort of with my therapist was that um you know a lot of times what i was doing was i was kind of like creating um these like awful like images of a person i loved doing something that would break my heart in order mm -hmm. to not be mad at something lesser than that she might have done that was upset. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, like, it's like, Oh, well that was bad. Cause I'm, but I'm going to, in my brain, create this like thing that makes it that much more awful. So like, I look around and I'm just like, just the shit we know is bad. Mm -hmm. enough. You know what exactly. I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we know it's bad enough. <laughs> facts, facts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I, I talk about black people all the time, but you know, I, I don't, I'd be remiss if I don't talk about the American Indians in this country, Uh huh. you know? Yep. And, yeah. and, the fact of the matter is, yes, we were brought here, but they were already fucking here. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And, like, the fact that Christopher Columbus is revered as the founder of America is straight bullshit. I mean, he yep. did the same shit in the Caribbean, too. He came to the, he stopped in the Caribbean first. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But uh, it's just ridiculous. And But we live with that, knowing that every day of our lives in this country, and I'll speak for myself, I don't look out for American Indians. I don't, right. I, I'm not into donating to, to their causes and knowing like how bad it is on the reservations. And it's bad. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fucking horrible. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But yeah. you know, so like you, you, you were saying that you're part of the problem of white America. And it's not that, you know, I wouldn't say you're part of the problem, bro. I, I say you're part of the solution. The fact that you have things like this, that people can come on here and, you know, get out what's what's really going on in the world, and they're part of the world anyway. Um, I think that's that's part of the solution. But like, we all forget easily what this country was really built on. <laughs> right, right. Two you know what I mean? Things, right, genocide to steal yeah. land and slavery for free. Um, for know, free labor. Free labor. Yeah. Yeah. And and to get families generations of wealth off of that free labor. Right. And like about everything we wear is cotton. Right. Every fucking piece of clothing we own is cotton. Where the fuck do we think that came from? Right. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's like, you know, these things that we so easily forget because life, because like I said, this is the plan. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the greatest thing the founding fathers of this country had was foresight. Right. They could they could see past the technology and all the all of the other things that has happened to make sure those words in the Constitution looked out for them and theirs. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, and that's that's the you know, I was listening to a song by Killer Mike and I don't remember all of it, but he was like, Look at those slave owners on your dollar bills. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. even to this yeah. day, we buy things with slave owners on our dollar bills. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, 
you got when you look at that and you think about that and you think about how this country was created by some people who didn't like their religious freedoms and they didn't want to pay as much taxes mm-hmm. so they straight came over here gangstered over some shit and moved people who had built had this beautiful oasis with all the you know land where they needed to be and they fight wars for years without really main like hurting people they would just you know come to resolutions playing lacrosse and shit yeah, they didn't. They just moved them, just straight moved them all the way to the west in these little barren areas where they can't grow no crops and they can't build anything that they're used to. And like yep. they took, they took these slave owners on one of their most prized possessions and drew these fuckers into the mount into what is that shit called with all the presidents, y'all? Um, uh, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Yep. That's like one of that was like one of the most sacred American Indian like mountains i i really i did not know that at all yes sir Holy yes God. sir so they and just carved just... these white faces that like fucking like tore them apart including lincoln who like yep. you know, <laughs> yeah them apart and they carved their faces into a sacred indian mountain exactly what exactly the fuck? so when you think about those things and then being a black american or a caribbean american because that's what i am i'm a caribbean american both of my parents yeah. are caribbean i was born here yeah. so thinking of thinking of that if they can do that to those people and then still call football team the seminoles and the indians and you know yeah. my high school team were the fucking indians you know i didn't even i didn't think of it at the time you know we're the franklin indians wearing red white and blue how horrible is that yeah. You know, the Benjamin Franklin Indians. That's the name of my football team, my high school team. Jesus Christ. <laughs> literally. Literally, I, that's... <laughs> I don't know if Franklin owned slaves, though. I'm not sure if Benjamin No, he, he probably didn't. He didn't. He was yeah. a, he was an educated man. Jefferson was the one, though. Jefferson was the... Jefferson and Washington, both of them. In Washington. Yep. Yeah, this is a, a point I made to Andre in an episode we're going to put up a little... I haven't... We just haven't put it up yet, but uh, mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder how you'll respond to this, but... Uh, um, you know, like when was the last time you met uh, someone whose last name was Jefferson or Washington who wasn't black? Exactly. You know, it's like ridiculous. Exactly. There's so many more descendants of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson who are black than there are white. For fuck's sake! Exactly. It's exactly. So you know, so completely ridiculous. You know, uh, just the other day, I heard this news story that they were finally changing the names of Aunt Jemima syrup and yep. Uncle Ben's rice to something new. Finally. And, and what's incredible for me about that is that I was like, you know what? I have known this entire time what Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben was. Mm-hmm. And and just something about it being 2020, you know what I mean? Me being older and like worried mm-hmm. about kids and just stuck in my whiteness. Like I just hadn't thought about it in forever. And I'm yeah. like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like that's still a thing. <laughs> like how would I yeah. feel if there was like, you know, Hitler rose for cereal or something. Exactly. Like, like exactly. You know, fifth, uh, fifth Reich fries or some shit like that. I, I would notice, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben are blackface characters. Are uh, blackface characters <laughs> depicted slaves and slave jobs. Yeah. The cook and the maid. You know what I mean? It's just, and it's crazy, man. It's just, it's I don't crazy. know. It's so how is it 2020 and we've still fucking had that shit? Cause like, yo, this is America, yo. This is America, yo. Like, if you can sell it, you can keep it. Straight I was up, like, yeah. I was one of the ones who, like, when Disney finally had an African American princess, you mm-hmm. know, I was the one that was like, you know, 
I forget what year it came out, but it was like already in the 20 teens at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mindset was like, you know, nobody should be patting Disney on the back at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, like, it's taking this like, long. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, but people don't do stuff like that until they have to, until they're moved to. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. And I think there's a similar story for maleness, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a real similar story for maleness where, you know, being a man is, is um, you know, being a white and being a man are mm-hmm. like a Venn diagram there. You know, if you're a white mm-hmm. man, you've just got like this perfect combination of shit that's going to make you an asshole. Um, but one not even knowing it yeah, sometimes. It. Yeah. 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 Without even, without it, without even knowing it, you know? So, but uh, I think, I think though, man, if you're a compassionate person, though, you, you recognize certain things at some point, yeah. like if you're aware enough to, to want to, you know, like if you're not just about yourself and, uh, I'm going to go back to cannabis. I'm sorry, but this is my business. You know, I'm, I'm the can, my business is com- cannabassador consulting. You know, that's my, that's what I do these days. So. What is that? You can, know, can ambassador? That's the name. Can, of yeah. Cannabassador. Like can the cannabis ambassador. Yep. That's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. Cannabassador consulting, my friend. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, the one thing, the thing about cannabis, man, it actually right. helps you put yourself on a level playing field. Yeah. When you're, when you feel, when you're high and you're with someone else's high, you're not thinking how much better you are or who has the nicer this. You're just enjoying the relaxing vibe, hopefully chilling with some good music or some good food, whatever you're doing. But like when you, you're not just thinking about yourself, you think deeper. You think about the people around you. You think about your society. You think about yeah. the homeless person you saw earlier that day. You yeah. know, that that's one of the things. It, it humbles you. Cannabis humbles you. It's like a forced change of perspective. You know, exactly. you, you might get that by looking at a beautiful piece of painting. You might get that by exercising, going on a run or something like that. Um, in this case, as opposed to something like alcohol, which just makes you sweaty and dizzy. And stupid. Right. Um, cannabis is a natural thing that grows out of the ground, and it and it just changes your brain chemistry and changes your perspective. You know, and it's in that ability that you know that we can then tap into being better people, right? Because it's in that ability exactly. to change our perspective that we find our way to being able to be empathetic. Um, exactly. Right. And you and you start to find out who your best self is, not who you're programmed to be to be successful in the world we live in. Right. Because those right. are two different things many times. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's kind of, it's funny. Like, um, so I, I just, I know so little about this, so I'm definitely going out of turn here. But um, there's this uh, Native American um, tradition or legend or... I'm not even sure what, but there's this thing called the legend of the white buffalo, or traditional about about a white buffalo that that uh, that the birth of a of a white buffalo, a pure white buffalo, will be a sign or herald of like a type of end of days, you know, where where um, uh, you know, like almost like a messiah coming kind of situation, um, right. and and according to Native American legend, at that moment, you know they will then become sort of the essential humans because they'll be there to teach the rest of the world how to 
you know, live off of the land in a way that's truly respectful and connected to how you're meant to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I always thought that there was something really incredible about that. Like whether or not like you believe in that stuff, think it's like true or not. Here's a, a, a people, right? A group of people within a bunch of peoples, because it's not like one tribe that does this. It's a bunch of folks, different tribes that kind of come together. And this one, my understanding is like, I'm probably wrong about all this stuff, but I, I always thought it was kind of cool. Like that, like, when they're imagining end of days, it's yeah. not a, it's not revenge porn for them at all, like mm-hmm. it is for a lot of other faiths. Where mm-hmm. end of days it really is revenge porn, where all your enemies are being sucked down to hell or whatever, and you right. know all the righteous people are going up to heaven or staying on earth or whatever. And the middle people I kind of have to be in the waiting room for all of you, right. something like that. You know, hanging out like, in purgatory. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 revenge porn. You know, mm-hmm. so kind of like yeah. that. Like Native Americans, like you know, they came up with this idea, and there's no revenge at all. It's like you people who have hurt us all this time who committed genocide Mm -hmm. against us, who, you know, kicked us off of our traditional lands, destroyed our peoples, like, you know, humiliated us, killed us, Mm -hmm. all those raped us, right. All those pieces. um, And then told us we were savages. There's going to come a day where we're going to teach you and protect you and save you and help you. And that's fucking crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. That like yeah. that, that that's like where that theology went in that moment, you know. So like, uh, you talked about like sitting down and and like really like talking to white people. I wonder if like you feel like your experience growing up black, like created an opportunity for more wisdom than you find maybe in your white counterparts. I think so because. Um... Um, I, th- I don't know. I, w- I mean, I used to get teased by black kids in school too, because I was trying to get my grades and like, I listened to the teachers, you know, I was right. like, you know, so that was also a thing. And I think that was because of what my parents taught me from, you know, their upbringing. Right. Um, so it's interesting. Um, I think I was seen as different. Um, and I was treated different. But sports was that equalizer. Right. You know what I mean? So you could be a, a Christian guy who wants to do everything right, and you can get teased. You could be trying to get all your grades, even though other guys that you know from your own neighborhood are making a fool and not doing the right thing, and you can get teased for that too. Right. But when you're knocking niggas out on the football field, scoring touchdowns and you're getting rebounds off of people and you know they didn't know you at all last year because you weren't you know you weren't there kindergarten through fifth grade right you weren't you weren't around and then all of a sudden in sixth grade you're coming out of the blue then that gains you get respect yeah you know for that and um i think that's why sports was like I, i said earlier it was one of those things that kept my mental health in check because when I used to get teased, I used to get in fights. Like I used right. to get in a lot of fights in, in New York. I used to get in a principal's office a lot. Right. And uh, I used to hyperventilate. Like I used to have to uh, breathe into a, a paper bag to calm down because I, once I get going, it's like, it's like uh, a bull at, at Pamplona, Spain. Like I'm not stopping until I hurt something, until something right. breaks or, or shatters. Unfortunately, that's my, uh, that's my rage level. Right. Um, 
it has calmed down as I got older. Um, but uh, during, you know, those times, um, I couldn't control it. So luckily sports was able to step in and, and be that controlling factor. So I was different up until a point, up until that point where the teasing didn't matter anymore anymore because my name was on the announcements every morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I would think that, like, you – coming after somebody would be one of the most what would be like one of the world's most terrifying things <laughs> well it, it used to be not anymore i'm 41 now but uh it used to be because you know i had some speed. <laughs> yeah and i and i had some speed behind it too so i had the yeah. speed with the, with the body you know so and like i said i had a lot of uh anger and a lot of pain and my dad wasn't around as much as he should have been and stuff like that so uh you took it out had, on people Exactly. I was lucky that I was able to have an outlet because there are other people whose outlet is back at the house. And, and then if, you know, right. Right. (laughs) I think, right. Right. I think you told me that you played, you played running back in football. Yeah. In high school, I was a tailback, fullback and a middle linebacker. Okay. Yep. And I got hurt. I was running like a four six four seven forty back then, so I was <laughs> I was kind of fast for like a high schooler. I was like two thirty in my freshman year, two twenty maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's so. uh, that's frightening. That's frightening. <laughs> and and then in basketball, what? So were you tall then too? So no, I mean I was not. I haven't really grown much. I was maybe in high school. I was like at five eight. I'm now five ten. So I wasn't. I haven't grown that much. You're taller um, than five ten. Aren't you taller? No, I know. I, I know. I'm like no. I'm like five ten. Yeah, really like five ten, five eleven. It's just I have really broad shoulders and I have you know great posture, so I look a lot taller. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a, big guy. I'm a big guy too. It, it would. I would never want to get into a fight you know, against you, but it would be fun to be in a fight with you against other people. <laughs> I feel like you and me would wreck, would wreck a little stuff. Absolutely. You know? Back to back ain't nothing happening to us, y'all. No, back I don't think back. so. <laughs> back to back, we'll take on mad heads. We'll be straight. Two, two we'll men in straight. their 40s nonetheless, but I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. <laughs> no but, uh, nonetheless, we'll put you on the side where there's more people. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll start moving quick once they see me coming. I think so. I think so. So, and then what position did you play in basketball? In basketball, I was like a swing guard. You know, I actually really like a two guard, small forward. Yeah, yeah. But that back then they didn't really have the kind of ball move. It was still everything was back to the triangle. Back exactly. Then, you know, we ran a little motion offense, but I I ran the point sometimes, and then you know I was really nice slashing to the basket. You know. Yeah. I had quick feet like Barkley, so I could get up and get mad boards. I had a big <laughs> ass, so I can move everybody out of my way. I used to do the car alone a lot, you know. So, you know, sports really it really helped a lot. Played baseball too. I was a catcher. I played center field catcher. Yeah. And like played lacrosse. Like sports you lacrosse too. Yeah, I played lacrosse in middle school, man. Huh. So it really yeah, was. It, it, Huge and, uh, yeah, that's right. You know, you were in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's on Long Island, and Long Island is like the central, like capital for lacrosse, like, the yeah, world, and, the worldwide lacrosse capital is Long. Island. And also Maryland, Maryland as well. Maryland Johns too? Hopkins, yeah, they got Johns Hopkins and all yeah, those. I guess so. Loyola, a big. That's a big lacrosse state. So it's an Iroquois sport. Yeah, 
It's yeah. a you know, it was the way That's they like I said, they used to, they used to solve conflicts that way yep. and, and yep. decide land that way and yep. you know, it's it's a Yeah, the five never, nations. Yep, up in the Finger Lakes region. That's what yep. they did. Yeah. And they had no boundaries. That's why in lacrosse now, when the ball goes out of bounds, whoever is closest to the ball gets it. It's not really out of bounds. It's just like out of play. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's how, and that's how they dealt with shit. They didn't go around killing each other and like yeah. separating their, you know, the Iroquois from the Cherokees. And I mean, they were separate, but they came together when they needed to and they yeah. settled differences when they needed to and they yeah. took care of each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a lot rougher that lacrosse though. I mean, the ball was like a skull, I think. <laughs> I know, and it wasn't yeah. like padded, you know. <laughs> I think. Yeah, there were no gloves, no helmets, no elbow no. pads. Nope. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's just. I think it's just. An, I mean, I love the game of lacrosse. I love the sport. I just, it's just another example of how we take something that's you know meant to be. I mean, lacrosse is a good thing. It's not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they, we we always, you know, reappropriate stuff as our own. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, I think American culture is more of reappropriating everybody else's culture and calling it their own than it is their own actual culture. Because, I mean, most Americans that, you know, they're from – Europe, like that's their, yeah. that's their, yeah. you know, or, or Italy or, or Ireland. Like you're really not, I mean, you are American, but like it's what generation <laughs> are you yeah. from another place? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, in a way, I think this is partially why a lot of um, white people today feel, um, you know, kind of maybe a stronger inclination to be jumping in there and, and protesting and be enraged and to just, be fucking sick of it at this point. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think a part of the reason is I think we're finally starting to come to a time where um, there are in this country, white people who have been connected to black people enough that, that the cultures are starting to kind of come together. And I don't mean like appropriation exactly, you know, but you see it in terms of like, you know, uh, white person's appreciation for black music. I mean, I, I only mm-hmm. listen to black music. I only, only listen to black music. Um, no, you don't want to put me on Anderson Pack. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, like, yo, I, Kenny, I, I, you got to listen to this cat. You got, when we were down there last, last uh, September, we were down there for yeah. our anniversary. You're like, yo, I never even heard of that cat. You're like, yo, you got to learn listening to him. And then a month later, his music's everywhere. I'm like, holy shit. That dude is something else, right? There's this, yeah, right. there's this YouTube video of him. I think it's called like, um, desktop concert or something like that. I'll, I'll look for it and send it to you if you haven't seen it before, but it's like, holy shit, this guy, this guy, yeah, he's he's the best. There's no question. I've had him on loop for a couple of years now. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but I, I think it, I think, you know, in a way it's a reflection of white people are really starting to love black people. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. really, really starting to love black people. And, and uh, when you love someone, and you love a lot, all the things about them, you know, including mm-hmm. culture, including everything. Then uh, all of a sudden, this type of thing starts to, this type of thing starts to happen. You know, you actually got space for empathy that you didn't have before. Um, yeah. You know, so I think like all that stuff makes a makes a big difference. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, for sure, and it should keep 
keep changing. I mean, it has to. I mean, I think, again, I'm going back to something I talked about again before, about education, man. Like, you know, you may be a white supremacist, but then you go to college and you sit next to a, a black person from the hood who had none of the advantages you have, yep. and his grade and his test grades are better than yours. How the fuck can you call yourself supremacy? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're seeing it right there, and I think that's where a lot of that proving ground, yeah. where you see where people are like, no, what I, what my my great grand, what my grandfather told my dad was wrong, and right. what my dad taught me was wrong. Like I know better. Like right. there's no way this person is wrong or they're less than because their color is different. Like I've been next to this person. I've sat next to him. I ate lunch with him. I talked to him and he's smarter than me. Like it's just bar none, you know, like, or, you know, other things. It's just like, it's a fear, you know, like this whole supremacy thing. You know, if, if you were so supreme, why in the world did you come to my continent and steal my people to build your country? Right. You know, like that doesn't really make sense. It's I think it's the opposite. <laughs> it's like you went to a continent and saw things you couldn't imagine. You right. saw architecture you couldn't even fathom a building yourself. You saw minerals and water and grass growing in deserts, and you were like, "Holy shit, we need them over here!" And not where we're going to steal next. That's right. what really happened. Right? You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, um, I you know, through my work, um, outside of the podcasting stuff, I've uh, mm-hmm. been able to become somewhat familiar with, um, drug development and, you know, different cures and development for things. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a whole world now, um, of, uh, gene therapies that are really fascinating where you essentially, you know, in one type of gene therapy, what you're doing is you're training viruses to go into a person's body to find the various peptides needed to go to a DNA strand and repair it. Wow. And in doing that, you're making things like, you know, like a very specific section of a DNA strand that's causing something like hemophilia, right? Right. Sickle cell. And then what Mm -hmm. it does is it just switches up the DNA strand. And then guess what happens? You take one shot and now you no longer have hemophilia, right? Oh, I mean, that, that's, wow. so the level of human ingenuity to be able to do that is incredible. And yet, you know, I, I've been walking down the rice aisle for a while and mm-hmm. I just, you know, look at uncle Ben's rice and just kind of go, yeah, it's, I guess it's still there, you know, right. Jemima syrup, I guess it's, I guess it's still there. Um, right. and so, yep. yeah, it's like a waste of human cream of right. wheat. There's so many cream of wheat, <laughs> Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's. There's just so many, and you don't even, yo, you, you know, know, what is the the, a, the banana republic? That's like the like banana republic is the mm-hmm. is a phrase for a third, it's like a derogatory phrase for a third world country. Wow, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. The Cleveland Indians, you know, the Florida Seminoles, the all of yeah. the pieces. It's like it's fucking ridiculous. So you know, yeah. it's 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 the most bizarre combination of human ingenuity being able to do incredible things, and yet you know, missing the obvious. Um, right. So uh, you know, obviously that that needs to change. Um, but some of it, like it's just you know, natural kind of progress. Like um, you know, when I was younger, and you wanted to be someone who was like you know, liberal and, um, I guess, quote unquote, woke in the world of sexual identity, 
you know, mm-hmm. back back in the 90s, it was like, look, there's a spectrum, right? And on one side is gay and one side is straight and everyone's basically somewhere in the middle and yada, yada, you know. And then nowadays, mm-hmm. it's like, no, 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 there's like a lot more things and it's not the right. same spectrum and it's a whole thing. And, you know, right. uh, and so a lot of it's also kind of challenging ourselves to stay on the cutting edge because like here I am as a younger person preparing myself for raising, you know, children and they might one day come out, you know, come out as gay and how to be a supportive parent for that. And now right. it's like, well, I'm going to have a child who comes out as like, you know, pan romantic asexual or something yeah. like that. And it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah, it's evolved. <laughs> Things evolved in so many, yeah. you know, aspects. But, you know, I think that that's more of like everybody wanting people to fit into that certain box so they feel right. comfortable. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. no, let me be who I am. Like, I'm, right. I should have the same rights that you have because I'm alive. That's it. Right. It's right. just the fact that I'm alive should give me the rights to do all the things that you get to do because you're alive. Right. <laughs> Nothing else should matter except that you are actually breathing. Right. <laughs> you know right. right. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. That's not how it is, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's getting, like you said, there is progress. But this is what I, that's, and this is what I believe. Like the things that, pro- that progress are the things that they, the, you know, quote unquote, they don't have their hands on. Right. You know, the things that are the way they are, it's because they want them to be. They don't want progress. They want it to, right. they want the infighting. They want the battles. Right. Think. Things that progress were things they didn't think about. Things that have have gone beyond their, you know, control or their thought of what they can control. Yeah, 100% right. Yeah, 100% right. Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree with you, you know. And so that's why, like, you know, defeating it ultimately Mm -hmm. is, like, not being discouraged. Like, it may or may not be true that we can't defeat it. You know what I mean? Like, we just don't know that. But mm-hmm. it might be true that we can't defeat it, but it might be true that we can defeat it. But like we still should be giving it a shot and not accepting anything less. But, you know, ultimate defeat of all the isms. Right. Like just all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We got to we got to push for it. I mean, it's it's hard currently with our. Uh, the way we pick our leaders, you know, it's it's pretty difficult because. uh their whole goal is just to make sure they get elected again, not really take care of any issue. So oh, it's a whole it's, fucked system, man. It's, it's so fucked up. <laughs> it's a completely fucked system. But, you know, the crazy thing is, is I think that there like are ideas and, and solutions that could like really work. And, it, you know, it might require like a radical shift, but some of them are probably pretty easy to do, you know, like. And they're needed. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're needed. How about we separate you know, a president from the power to pick a Supreme Court justice. Absolutely. That's you know, not about, go together. How about we how about we elect a different person that does that shit? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That that does not need to why do you get that power just because you got elected president, especially if you didn't get the popular vote? Well yeah. Like, then, then what happens is people who don't like a presidential candidate are just like, well fuck, I guess I have to vote for this guy because he's the yeah. one who picked the justices that I like, but I literally don't like anything else about him. Right. For a life for a lifetime job, you know, like yeah. nobody nobody needs a lifetime job either. I think it breeds it breeds like laziness. Yep. It breeds a lack of innovation. Like ten year professors teach the same a lot of them teach the same shit every year. Yep. Once they get tenured. Yep. And then you, you know have, what I mean? Like, 
you know, 137 year old justices that are like still sitting in their chairs being held up by like an exoskeleton because they can't yeah. fucking die before like right. a president comes in that might bring in someone that can replace them from their side of the aisle. You yeah, know? like we need we need Ruth, <laughs> Ruth in there right now. Like, yeah, holy she shit. <laughs> Jesus, how she, if she wasn't there, dude, I couldn't imagine what would be getting past right now. Nobody sneeze around Ruth Bader Ginsburg is all I have to Seriously. say. Nobody fucking, nobody sneeze, nobody burp, nobody hiccup, nobody <laughs> turn your cell phones off. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need like a cell phone to vibrate to feel over and die. You know? Like, and, and keep Beer Boy, keep Beer Boy Kavanaugh far, far away from her. <laughs> yeah. Good guy. Good guy. Um, but uh, I'm in total, uh, I'm in total agreement with you about that. Yeah, bro. Oh my god. But uh yeah, so you know, it's just it's just uh it's just crazy. So um so but but in the meantime, like, you know, you kind of you found your way to sports, you found your way to religion, and these things along with other things helped you to, you know, face things that you know, we're, we're really very difficult and challenging and hard and all that stuff. Right. So like, so, I mean, did it work forever or were uh, there is a whole moment with cancer that, you know, if you feel comfortable, I'd love to hear about, but did it work forever? Like, were you really able to navigate, you know, your life through those things or were there other dark moments for you that, you know, present other sorts of challenges? So growing up as a younger, as a younger person, you know, like before college and stuff, it did help because it allowed me to see, and especially these are a lot of my, you know, athletes that I, w- I went to school with and uh, went to church with. I would go hang out with them after practice or after games and hang out with their families and, and see how their lives were. You know, so being able to see that in living, being at the same level with them and being at the same educational level with these people, let me know that one day I could have these same things. Right. Even though I didn't necessarily have them now. The fact that I play sports with this person or I go to school with this person, I know that he's my age. And at some point we're going to be fighting for potentially the same job. Right. And if I can work harder to be better, then when time comes for me to have my house and my things, I can be in that in that better atmosphere. Right. Whereas I feel like if you don't ever move from the neighborhood you were born into or grew up in or like some generations – grow up in the same, you know, five square miles for three and five generate, you know, five generations of, of people. Right. And they, they never really witness what the other, what other people are living or what things they may have. Right. You know, I, I, this is one of my tricks that I've always done. Anytime, anytime the government is like, Oh, don't do this. You should not do this. Don't go here. I go right away. I do it immediately. <laughs> I do it immediately because I always feel like that's a that's like a really a code for people to to do for people who know to go do those things because it's going to make your life better. Oh my god! And, and, Can you give me an example besides weed? <laughs> like buying buying a home or, or or starting your own business. Yeah, those two things. Like remember when they were telling everybody to buy a home when the the arm rate was so low, and then five, ten years later, your freaking rate balloons, and now you're homeless. Everybody lost it. Yeah, everybody, everybody lost it. 
So the government that, was saying buy a home, and that was that's when it precisely when it was like, holy fuck, I'm not buying a home right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you gotta yeah. like buy a home, buy a home, wrap up all your wrap up all your college loans and your car payment into your into your second mortgage, so you'll yeah. be covered, and yeah. you're gonna have this loan for thirty years anyway. Might as well pay off everything else and take out some more cash. Yep. We're not. You know, the adjustable rates are the lowest it's been in 50 years. It's not going anywhere. And then five years later, the Fed raises the rate and nobody can afford anything. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Or they're like, don't travel here. Don't go to this place. Don't go here. Go there. Because all the rich people are there hanging out, drinking fucking great drinks, eating steaks. And your ass is sitting at home like, I have no money to go anywhere. Find a way to get there. Because... So many times, if you go just five to ten miles outside of where you live and mm -hmm. just hang out in another town that you're, quote, unquote, not supposed to be in mm -hmm. for for a little bit of time, you realize why you're not supposed to be there. Because there are things happening in these places that are so fun and so nice and right. you have no idea. You know, like like I said, going to the school I went to and being around a lot of white folk and, like, you know... Just different things that, like, I would never have known if I if I didn't leave Brooklyn, New York, and go to Maryland. Like, right. never. Right. You know what I mean? And right. then things I never would have known if I didn't leave Maryland and go to Virginia. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's like, when you're a minority, you feel more comfortable in your environment with people who look like you. Right. Like, it's uncomfortable to be in a place where a bunch of white people are and you're one of the only minorities there. Oh, yeah. But, but you get to learn. You get to observe. You get to see how their life is different. And then you get to ask yourself the question, why can't my life be like that? Right. Right. I'll never forget, um, you know, I had a chance to live in Israel twice. And um, the second time, especially, the first time I lived on a, like, socialist farm in the north and this crazy idyllic kind of setting. So you don't, like, really experience much of, like, city life or socio-political kind of issues when you're sort of there, you're just on a farm in a pretty spot or whatever. But the second mm -hmm. time I lived, I lived in Jerusalem. And it, it was the first time in my life where I was just like really feeling 100% what it's like to be a majority. Because mm -hmm. in America, you know, I'm definitely white. I get all the benefits of being white, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I get to walk around as a white guy, all that stuff. But I'm also mm -hmm. Jewish. And so I, I can relate to the minority thing. And it's not that long ago that, you know, we got fucked with pretty massacred. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's also not that long ago in America that we weren't allowed in all the places. You know what I right. mean? It's pretty recent that we're actually allowed in all the places. In fact, that's why Brandeis University exists. It's our version of, uh, you know, an HBCU. Right. I mean, right. like what yeah. our version is because Brandeis was built for Jews by Jews to be a, uh, University that won't like limit the amount of Jews that can go there, unlike every other school. It was like meant to be right. Harvard of the Jewish world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, communities only build something like that when you're limited. You know, from like there would be no such thing as HBCUs if African Americans could just go to college. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't need to have built it, you know. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, so it's um, it's just kind of uh, just kind of one of those things. But in Israel, when I felt like suddenly for the first time in my life, I was a majority. Yeah. I, it was, it was uncomfortable, man, especially yeah. with, you know, interacting with Palestinians, for example, of okay. just, like, Oh fuck. 
Yeah. Uh, they fucking hate me. <laughs> yeah. Not just that, but like maybe they have a good reason for it. Like, yeah. shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good to get the variety of perspective to, like, open up your brain to, you know, just the full full ability of being a human experience. Like, I always joke about being a, um, a Yankee fan and a Jet fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, like, on the West Side, it's like, for the most part, I'm just kind of like a winner. And just just blessed. Yep. Yep. <laughs> for the other part, for the most part, I'm just like a fucking loser. Yeah. And, um, and and I like that because then I get to experience both sides of sports, you know. True. That's true. That's facts. That's facts right there. That's true. Right. I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ken's the same way. He's a Jets fan and Yankee fan too. Same yeah. His brother. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So, but yeah, but um, so yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, going through like my younger years is just being able to see a different a different life than right. I had, than I was living to see the potential right. for that. And like measuring myself up against, cause like my parents always told me like, you're not only a black American, you're Caribbean American. So you're going to have to fight four, three or four times harder to, to be just as equal as any American or any white American, Jeez. you know? So yeah, that's, that's the kind of mentality I took into every day of school into every day of sports. It's like always, it was a competition, but so you have that, and then you also have the stress of just having to live, being a minority, watching your back to not, you know, make sure you follow every street sign and don't don't jaywalk, like shit like that. My parents used to tell me, like, cops will pull you right. up, like, get you for jaywalking, and they will. They will kill you if they want to because you jaywalked. Like, right. Um, right. You know, so just that, as I got older, like, when, when I was in college, you know, like, it just was different. College is just... It's not real life, actually. Like, right when you're when you're away at college on a campus, it's it's actually not real life. It's not the real life that the outside world. Once you leave that campus, life is different than when right. it is on campus. So, right. you know, it's kind of a bubble there. But then uh, after college, it got a lot harder because I stayed in Virginia. I was in Charlottesville area. Jesus. We all know what the yeah we all know what Charlottesville has to offer. So, you know. That didn't go so well for myself. So my wife, my well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but she was doing really well there. And, uh, yeah. you know, we had to move to Northern Virginia just for the better opportunities and shit like that. So, yeah, man, for real. You know, that uh, that was a tough time, but uh, I got through that a lot just, just pushing. I mean, there were some dark times where I was just like no hope, just doing odd jobs to make money and shit like that, moving jobs and whatever. Yeah. You know, and I just feel like it's my resilience. Like, I, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to find something to do. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm a, I'm a child of the Caribbean. And that's one thing about Caribbean people. We will work three, four jobs to make ends meet. Like, no matter. We don't need to sleep if we can make the money to make it right. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I mean, I guess that's a lot of people. It's just, you know, something I know of of myself, like. What? I'll do the hard. I'll do the hard fucking work if I have to. You know what I'm saying? Where does that come from? Like, what what cause? What causes that? I don't know. I think it's just a mindset. Um, I think you know Columbus was in the in the Caribbean first, and when he took a lot of that land, he he didn't have he didn't leave his people there to run it. Like they would collect, they would come by and collect on that. But you know that was even though you were under rule you actually lived on your own 
land and you farmed your own land. You didn't get to keep all of it. You had to pay taxes and shit. But I don't know. Maybe it's just a hard work ethic. I don't. I really don't know where it comes from. I think it's in a. It's an immigrant mindset. Like your, your, you ancestors, have, your ancestors were enslaved, correct? I mean, they certainly were stolen from Africa and brought to the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So from there, they were brought to the Caribbean, and then at, they were also enslaved in the Caribbean. You know, they yeah, were under under British rule there too. So, you know, it's it's just in your DNA. Like you were talking about DNA earlier. Like if your lineage comes from you know, hard work and that's the way you've been taught and that's what everybody's before you has done, then it's gonna be part of who you are as well. Yeah. No, that's um yeah, that's uh that's exactly right. You know, that's exactly right. Um yeah. and so you just were able to uh, you know, you got these incredible lessons from your parents and you just were able to apply that to your life and fought and fought and fought until you found your way to the to the life that you always wanted, huh? Yeah, that, that I currently have now, you know, even when I got, you know, cancer, I'm I'm five years cleared just this past February, so I'm very blessed and yeah. I feel very, yeah. very happy about that. Um, you know, I had a, a bone cancer in my, in, my, in my pelvic bone, a sarcoma, and, uh, you know, the, I had, I saw like three or four doctors because it was so rare or whatever, they didn't really know what it was and all yeah. this stuff, and it was just like, that was a very dark time, you know. I was like 35, 36 at the time. And, um, yeah, it was just, like, tough because – so the whole thing about medicine, all right, it's going to get back because, once again, I'm from the Caribbean. And my mom, you know, her family, like, her Aunt Ruby was, like, the town talisman. Like, she <laughs> had every plant growing in her yard, like, all these, you know, natural remedies because, honestly – the creator, whoever you believe him to be, yeah. has put everything on this earth that we need. Yeah. And they've been here for years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you get bit by a snake, uh, look around. Some plant around where that snake is hanging is going to be your, you know, your antibiotic. Yeah. 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 You know, everything is here already, you know? Like, so, like, all the medicines that I used to take as a child had no pills involved. It was always some kind of tea or this root or, you know, some herb that you're cooking or eating or, you know, we weren't smoking as children, (laughs) but, uh, you know, there was always something natural, you know, and at the time we didn't know we were, we used to complain to our mom, like, can we just get some Pepto-Bismol and all this other stuff? And she's like, no, you're going to have this orange peel tea. And it did the same thing. And yeah. we didn't know, you know, we're so used to in this society just taking a pill or whatever a doctor gives you. And I, I truly believe that was probably the catalyst to my cancer because the doctor said there was nothing I did to cause it, nothing I could have done to prevent it, right? Yeah. But all of my life until my my junior year of high school, I tore my ACL, my first games of my junior year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was on Vicodin and stuff for pain because, you know, I had to play my senior year so I can get to college, which I yep. did. I, I I did pull off the Adrian Peterson before Adrian Peterson, by the way. I just like to say that. Crazy. That, hurt, that hurt my junior year, yeah. was there to play the first game and the rest of my senior year. But anyway. Nobody um, uh, nobody returns the same from the from an ACL injury. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. I was definitely a different player afterwards. Um, but, you know, that time in my life, I, I was taking pharmaceutical drugs. I had to take Vicodin in order to get better and work out so I could play the next year. And I think that led to a lot of the negative um, medical um, issues that I had. And in my, my imagination, this cancer thing, because, you know, my mom never gave us pills. You know, we'd, right. we'd have to take, you know, like my body was not used to that. My body was used to natural medication. Right. Right. You know, right. And, and the way my mom, the, the food we cooked, like the herbs we use, the spices we use, it's all like natural stuff out of the ground, earth, yeah. earth, things out of the earth. So putting all those things into my body, I feel, I believe is what led to some of the medical things that I've had. Like I had type two diabetes at one time in my life. I got rid of that. Thank God. Yeah. Um, the cancer that I had, you know, luckily I didn't need any chemo or radiation, which just, is uh, surgery. Yeah. They just had to take, take it out. Um, which the doctors say were really rare because, Bone cancer, especially in the pelvic bone, is usually very difficult to deal with and, and very fatal. And sarcomas um, are mad rare. Yeah, malignant sarcomas are mad rare. Yeah, yeah, good. So, you know, I was, uh, I think, it, you know, you're going to hear it again from me, but I think cannabis had a lot to do with it or natural medication because, right. you know, my body is used to that. My body right. re- is very receptive to plant medicine. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's what I grew up having. And then uh, I turned away from it when I was, you know, needing to play sports and in college. And, you know, when you get away from your family, you kind of lose some of the uh, some of the things that you were taught. Right. Not necessarily lose them, but you don't do them as much. You still know them. You know, they're right. still there. Right. But, uh, you know, and I felt that led to some of the the medical stuff I that I've dealt with. Um but yeah, man, with the cancer thing, bro, it was just a lot of prayer, just like, you know, praying to God to like allow me to to get through this. And and that thing I had mentioned earlier about making sure I live every day to the fullest, literally every day mm-hmm. was is a big thing, because when you get cancer and they tell you nothing you did could cause it or nothing you could have done to prevent it, you're like, so, you know all the things I plan to do in my life and hopefully do this one day and that one day could have just been taken from me, you know, in an instance, you know? Right. And, and that's where I start to realize, you know, and I knew it before what I said before, but like this life is what you have now. And like, you got to just try to be grateful for it every day and try to find some joy within the pain because, um, it can be gone at any time. You can do nothing to cause it. Mm-hmm. You could just be walking home from, with some Skittles with a hood on and mm-hmm. some fucking asshole decides that you're a threat and tries to shoot you because he's police, like neighborhood police watch loser. Yep. yep. You know what I'm saying? So yep. like I, uh, when, when that happened, I just started doing all the things I planned on doing. Like, I just did. Like, I went to a Super Bowl. Like, I went and watched the Ravens beat the Niners. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, you know, you just, you find a way to do, you, you think you can't do these things. And you're like, oh, I got to save for retirement and all that. That sounds great. But who says you're going to get to retirement? 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you said, the statistics earlier, black men in our country, in our world, usually hit, you hit 55, you hit 56, you're doing big things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The fact to get 10 more years to, to retirement age, like that's a, that's a big feat. Yeah. So, so why should I save for retirement? What are the chances I'm going to actually live to retirement? You know, right. just, just little things that the world says is so important for we, us all to do may not be as important for me to do than it is for you. You might live to 100. You know what I'm saying? You don't eat fried chicken as much as I do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You maybe like not. Maybe not. I like fried chicken a lot. I know you do. That's why I just said maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like yeah. the the things I eat um are it's my culture. It's my heritage. It's yeah. what I know. It's what we love. Yeah. And same you know, a lot of the things you eat are as well, you know, yeah. but, you know, you're Jewish. It's different. You guys have a whole different heritage, different culture and, you yeah. know, no. mad good grub. <laughs> it's, well, I, I, <laughs> we'll have to agree to disagree about that. I don't think Jewish food is all that good. <laughs> no? No, like, no, no. Give oh, me, like, man. the most fanciest Jewish dish in, you know, Jewish tradition or a slice of pizza. I'll pick a slice of pizza every day. That brisket with uh, don't y'all be having, and then that that matzo ball soup stuff, yeah, that's that's yeah, pretty good stuff, yeah. Matzo balls are pretty good. Still, slice <laughs> of pizza is better. <laughs> but uh, oh, man. No, I, the thing about, I mean, the thing about what you're saying, which is so striking, is like, um, you know, you you got a million things going against you, mm-hmm. and. You could easily just, you could give up, you could be mad about it, you could use it as an excuse not to live life, you could use it as an excuse to stay home, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah. for some reason, you've got the internal kind of ability to find the strength to kind of use a, use these things to catapult you to appreciate life more. You know, like... like yeah. I haven't heard you once talk about like a moment in your life where you were like, whoa, is me. Well, I mean, I have those moments, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, I know you, I'm sure you know the story of Job in the Bible. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, most awful story. (laughs) It's an awful story, right? So, but like I said, I knew the Bible very well at a young age. I memorized it. I had to, I have awards for for memorizing Bible verses. So, (laughs) if if you can look at Job's life and then look at your life, how can you say that your life isn't better than his? Yeah. Yeah. No matter what you've been through, you know what I'm saying? So, and those are the reasons why I say religion has helped me, but it's also, I feel like that same reason could, that same mindset that I have could just also be a control factor and a way to control people to prevent them from uprising. You know what I mean? Right. So it it did help me in that regard of being saying, yeah, this is tough. Your life is hard. But most things that you go through, you're not unique. You know what I'm saying? I'm not the only person that's had a sarcoma in their pelvic bone at age 36. There's yeah. some kids that had it at age 12. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So those are the kind of things where um, 
I feel like, um, you know, now I look back on it and it's easier for me to say what I'm saying about it. You know, there were times, there were very rough nights where I remember Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving game, um, I'm a Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that Thanksgiving game we were playing, pretty sure it was the Vikings. I don't even know why the hell we were playing the Vikings on Thanksgiving. We usually play like the Redskins or yeah. – but anyway, we got our ass kicked. And I was just like, oh, I can't even get the Thanksgiving game. I got cancer. And now, now the Cowboys are losing on Thanksgiving. You know, like <laughs> there, there was a lot of those petty moments where I was like, what was me? And just thinking about myself and not even thinking about, you know – my wife and how she has to deal with this, just me and her, like what right. if something happened to me, right. you know what I mean? Right. And then uh, instead of that, you know, I I went back to what I knew and what I know is the Bible. And I'm like, wait a minute, Job had everything. He had family, he had wife, you know, and, and Satan played this game. Well, like, of course, Job loves you. You give him everything, take it away. And, and he'll, you know, dis- disown you right away. And he never did. And he never would, you know right. what I mean? And I, and even though that's a sad story, a lot of people tell me that when I talk about Job, like that's a sad story and it is what happened. Yeah. And it is, the, and it is the old Testament, which is also a whole nother topic, but um, it helped me stay grounded. It helped me say, Hey, you know, at least you didn't have to make a, a decision on cutting your baby in half. Like Solomon did, you know, like there's so many things, there's so many lessons in the Bible I had to, that I remember that when I am feeling some kind of way, I go back to them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then also, like you said, being the oldest, um, being the oldest, you have to be that leader. Even if you don't want to be, it's just a natural thing because you have people below you looking up to you. Yeah. So there's just certain things you you do, even if you don't want to do, you kind of have to do, and you learn from them. Right, right, right. No, that, that's exactly right. It's it's all that kind of perspective gaining stuff. You know, I mean, I, I uh, so I mean, you you know, we know each other. You know, my career path. I used to be a rabbi, and now I don't do that stuff anymore. Uh, yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with the Bible too, just like you. But it, you know, slightly, mm-hmm. I wasn't studying it or memorizing verses from a young age. I did read it at a young age and then went to basically graduate school to study it and then you know, spent a bunch of years teaching it and familiarizing it, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm not an organized religion guy anymore. And my, my, um, but my faith is still identified by Judaism. And in a lot of ways I feel a lot, I mean, in every way, I actually feel a lot closer to God now in this mm-hmm. uh, unorganized kind of spirituality of it, as opposed to how I felt when I was a part of um, organized faith. But that being mm-hmm. said, there's still anecdotes, stories, biblical passages, passages from the Talmud, other traditional Jewish texts that like really, really stand out to me, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, um, what's interesting is, so this is not a biblical story. This is an anecdote. So it's just, you know, this rabbi's professor of mine um, used to go to synagogue every year to this one synagogue um, to do this special service that you do for like a solid week leading up to the high holidays, which is like, 
you know, the Yom big Kippur. ones, right? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that's like the one time mm-hmm. here where you faith your sins and renew your soul and all kind of stuff. And so it's, there's a lot of pressure for that holiday, you know, yep. and the week leading up to it, you're, you're doing like a lot of preparation to try to kind of get in that spiritual space. And uh, certain Jews from certain places do this thing where for the whole week before, these are services called Slichot services. They actually start by meeting at like two o'clock in the morning. Like they meet up at two o'clock in the morning. They pray at seven and then they go to work, you know? So there's like, yeah. they do it for a week. So it was like a wow. lot of dedication leading into that. And, yeah. and this one professor used to go to these services at this one synagogue. And he noticed that there is this like older gentleman who sat in the back who was there, but didn't participate. And he thought that was kind of weird. Like, why are you coming here? Two in the morning. Two in the morning. Yeah. If you're not going to take part, you know, <laughs> like, right. What's going on there, man? It's a lot of effort to not participate. So yeah. like one day he kind of like got up enough nerve to go up and ask the guy what was going on. And it was like, yo, I, I mean, I see you here every year. Um, you're here every day. You're obviously dedicated, but you never pray. Like why? And so the man then rolled up his sleeve and showed him the tattoo that he got in the Holocaust. Uh, and what he said to him was, you know, God didn't do God's job to protect me and the Jewish people and everyone else who suffered at the hands of the Nazis. So mm-hmm. I come here every year in order to show God that I don't have to do my job and pray to hmm. this time of year. Right. And like, hmm. at first, like you hear that and it's like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, right. Oh my God! Like that? Like what? Whoa! You know, it's hard to get right. how to respond to something like that. Um, right. And then you think about it, and it's like the nerve of this guy. You know what I mean? Right. Like, isn't that how he's like insulting God and all this stuff? But then, like, you really think about it, and it's like, hey, despite wherever he's coming from, mm-hmm. this man has more faith in his pinky finger in God than like mm-hmm. I could ever hope to have, because it's like not even a question as to whether or not God is real. It's just about the relationship. You know, yep. It's like, I'm mad at you. Cause like, mm-hmm. where were you, you know? Um, right. And I think that there's a lot, to, there's a lot of symbolism there in terms of what's going on here. You know, like, like, um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to give up on the idea that like we could create a perfect world where there is no racism. Like yeah. I'm not going to walk away from that idea. Like why, like why would I want to walk away from that idea? Um, Cause right. it's an excuse to stop trying, you know? Right. Exactly. Uh, right. But like at the same time, like, yeah, man, like a lot of people should be pretty pissed off. And well, like, I didn't do my job, you know, <laughs> like, well, it's a- this is the way I see it, man. And, and it's the truth is that the youth will lead us. It is a true statement. Yeah. They always do. Yeah. And the kind of revolution that they're living through. Yeah. Right now and seeing witness between, you know, in, happening they're in elementary school they're not getting to graduate all this kind of shit like and then seeing all this stuff on tv and then understanding wait a minute but raymond's my friend or tommy's my friend at school why is why is his daddy getting you know in trouble or whatever you know they're not going to stand for it anymore and needless i'm sorry i mean i know this firsthand because you know i'm married to a white woman but like white women are truly the only person to get white men to change their minds. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. And they're the ones that, that's why our country won't elect a white woman president. They're scared. There's too much power. Yeah. See, women women in general, they're the only ones that can actually create life. Yeah. So yeah. 
you know, men overall, the men, as I put my hand in quotes, you know, they know that they can recognize that. And, you know, you withhold, you withhold enough um, fun time from a man and he'll be doing whatever the fuck you want. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're in love with somebody and you really love them and you, you can make, you can make people do what they want for sex <laughs> easily. Yeah. You know, and, and women are actually the key, you know, women are the key to changing our world, I believe. And that's why every time one comes up that can actually make a change, she gets taken out right away out of the race, out of the potential because you know, they know that women can make the change happen. They can, they can force change. Yeah. You know, the, um, that I tell you, I think I did when we were talking uh, a few days back, but I tell you my, my, one of my now two um, like ideas for how to change the police force so that there's less uh, police brutality and maybe no police brutality. Did I tell you what it was? No, I want to hear this. So one was, one was, um, I'll do the, I'll do the one unrelated to what you just said first. Um, and this one I just kind of built up recently. Cause at first I was saying it's not an issue of training because like um, somehow police officers have a way of like bringing in white people alive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not really, exactly. yeah, it's not really a matter of training. I mean, if you can bring in the Boston bombers alive, you can fucking figure mm-hmm. out how to not kill a black man. Who's just like, maybe had a fake $20 bill. You know what I mean? Like that, or take Dylan roof to Burger King after yeah. you shot up a church. Yeah. Jesus, no. Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could like fucking figure out how to, how to do that stuff, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but on the other hand, I heard this interview recently with this dude who is a uh, Navy seal and he was like, um, police officers should be training one fifth of the time period. He was like, mm-hmm. we train for, 12 months he was like we train for six months for a three-month deployment mm-hmm. like you need to be training one-fifth of the time like you need to be rehearsing re-rehearsing re-re-re-rehearsing like all the shit that could happen so that you're mm-hmm. prepared and you know how to respond like you need to be training a lot more and that argument i was like yeah yeah that's that's probably true you know they, it is yeah yeah they need to be training a more. so that that was my that was my one theory my other one is is that we should actually just make it so that only women could be police officers. Hmm. That'd be dope. Right? <laughs> yeah. That'd be dope because honestly, like, you know, I feel like a lot of police officers are those, those people that got picked on in school, picked on in high school. Yep. And now they're getting, they're getting their fucking revenge now. Yeah. Or they're the ones who are doing the picking on in yeah. high school and they just are continuing with that career path. You know, yeah, that- that bullying path. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%, you know. So Yeah, man. Those, those will be two great things, man. I think. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. I think that will definitely change some things for yeah, sure. I agree. You know? I agree. Let's we'll see how it goes. Hey, by the way, so we've actually been recording for two hours and nine minutes. I see, bro. I'm about to, I'm about to, we got to get going soon. I'm saying, like, it's, we're having my much time. Fun. it's midnight your time, and I, we're going to yeah, get bro. most out of this day because that's what you've been saying this whole time. But, uh, no um, but the, uh, I just wanted to check up on you. I mean, I'm good to keep talking if you've got more to say. But the other thing is, 
Um, so basically what I'm doing with the show is, you know, I, I want to interview as many people as possible, obviously, but I also want a crew of people who we'll just keep coming back to, um, and, uh, keep continuing the conversation, keep expanding it, keep seeing where it can go and all that stuff. And so, um, you know, I'd be happy if you're one of those guys too. So we don't have to finish everything now. We can always get back to it. Um, at the same time, maybe there's some stuff that you want to say now, you know? So, I mean, I I do need to get going and I get ready for work tomorrow or whatever, but, uh, I'm just, you know, happy to be on here. I got a lot off my chest tonight, you know, cool to be able to, uh, talk to you like this, you know, on yeah, the airway stuff and like get some thoughts out there, you know, stir it up a little bit and get some ideas flowing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, you know, I fucking love you, dude. Like, you know, known you for a while now. And um, every time we get together, it's just, um, you know, just another reminder of just how great you are. And you're, you're definitely one of those people that, you know, for me, it's like, you want, you want people in your life that are just, you know, great people, just, just, mm-hmm. you know, solid, good people. And when you have them, it gives you a sense of like, you know, faith that, um, that like, you know, that the world is good and is, uh, you know, going to continue to be good and all, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. it's, it's yeah. really so, nice. So I feel that way. A comfortable, a comfortable, you know, feeling a, a positive vibe, you know what I mean? Yep. And, yep. uh, that's what I've always felt, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I agree. So it's uh, it's always great talking to you no matter what. It's like especially an honor um, to be talking to you, you know, now in, in this um, in this uh, kind of forum here. And, you know, I really appreciate all the stuff that you shared. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation and seeing you again sometime soon, hopefully, and kind of uh, uh, growing, growing shit from there. All right, brother. Sounds good, man. Uh, Definitely. Can't wait to get back out to the left coast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyway, thank you so much, Kenny. 